Bonzilla presents Pirates of the Caribbean. Each week we sail into the world of pirates. This week we discuss the origins of the franchise from the original ride to the instant classic first film. It's 2003's Pirates of the Caribbean Curse of the Black Pearl. everybody welcome once again to bond zilla presents i am nick i'm will and we are here today to start off a brand new series for Bondzilla presents and i'm very excited to dig into this series um it'll be the first time we're doing a a real disney based thing on this podcast and those of you who know me and so some of you longtime listeners know that i do have a, a large disney fandom so this will be exciting. I am, of course, talking about the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. That is what we're going to start talking about today. Yeah, uh, I, I can't. It was it was um, it was interesting that this it, this was always on the um, short list for the ones that we were going to talk about. So, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, and I, I obviously like whatever. And, and, and it gave me a reason to pop out, finally pop out the steel book. Nice. Uh, yeah. Blu-ray that I have. Yeah. So that, awesome. that was, that was fun. Um, I, uh, yeah, this was always one that I was very interested to, um, revisit. And I think that, uh, kind of discussing sort of that mindset, I talked about this a little bit when I revealed this on that kind of special, like little five minute episode I did, um, or posting, it wasn't really an episode, uh, but I, you know, it is interesting because this is uh, the other franchises we looked at have been like these very long standing historical Hollywood franchises that like when we kind of grow up with them, we grow up with that modern version. Right. Like we, you know, maybe like Star Trek, we talk about Star Trek, like maybe we had like a little bit of that next generation in us, you know, in the 90s. But like, you know, the the Star Trek of our maybe film fandom was like the Abrams films and, you know, kind of the modern stuff. And king kong like we kind of know the jackson film first and everything like that and even with bond we've talked about and godzilla like you kind of know the films that are coming out you know around this time and then you go back and see the big legacy that it has but what's interesting about reflecting on pirates is this is a modern franchise and it's a franchise that we've had the pleasure in in many ways of growing up with and we've seen it from its beginnings um as a film franchise, of course, I don't mean we were not born when the original ride opened, but like the film franchise, we start with 2003 and then it continues on until what the last one came out 2017. Right. And I think what's interesting about reflecting on this as a modern franchise is really showcasing sort of this influence that this film has had on sort of the modern cinema landscape, because this film you know, the film we're talking about today alongside sort of Lord of the Rings and the original like X-Men and Spider-Man film. And even going back to like 1999 with The Matrix, you can even argue is in this realm sort of really shifted 
the the box office landscape to the point where these films are really the origin of where we are now in cinema and where we are now at blockbusters and franchises and everything like that. And so kind of really reflecting on a film and a franchise that is only almost 20 years old, it's, it's, it's 2023 will be 20 years of this movie that we're going to be talking about today. It is an interesting sort of reflecting on the actual legacy of this franchise uh, as, as something that we've had the pleasure of exist, you know, existing for its entire existence. That's interesting. I wonder if I have a slightly different view on it than you. Ooh, nice. Um, not the love of the movie, which we right. get into, and in our, and I should say, our love for the movie and our fondness for the for the franchise itself. Mm-hmm. But what's what is interesting about this one is that so, you know, we started when we started talking about Bond and Godzilla. The reason was was because these are the longest running film franchises that have had a really significant cultural footprint, not even just cinema, but on culture Mm -hmm. in, in general. And then we talked about the Kong movies that have had very much the same thing, if not like either close to or if not the same thing. So what's interesting about this franchise for me is that it is a blockbuster franchise that I think has a more interesting story to it because I don't know if I would completely say it's the same in terms of this is the cultural or cinematic footprint it left because in many ways what we're going to be talking about is a franchise that does have that unique thing where where the franchise has gone and this is not to cast a judgment on it quite yet but where the franchise has gone has created a scenario in which I think people forget how good the first one is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So whether fairly or not, we're going to be delving into a franchise that I think has a more complicated history going forward with it. Yes, that's very true. And I, and I don't even know if because of that, people would consider it a fran like a, a franchise of note. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if people would, would, would think of it that way. So, you know, it, it, much like a set piece from this franchise, it, it is going to take some wacky Rube Goldberg twists and turns of exactly how we feel about it, how it is it has stood the test of time. Because I don't know, like I, I don't know if I would say that it's it's a it's a blockbuster that indicates where we are now. But I will say that it is a franchise that is a, a really cool, a really good um, analysis of a certain era and type of blockbuster filmmaking tangentially to the bigger stuff. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that's one of the things I do want to explore because I kind of have this view of just like, you know, where we started in that kind of like early 2000s and just the steps we take into like this trilogy and, you know, all that stuff it, that leads into kind of, you know, even not even from a cultural standpoint, but I think also from a business standpoint, I think is also fairly interesting to me on this era of cinema. Um, Cause we'll get into sort of 
the changing state of the Disney studio at this time, but where the Disney studio is now in 2003, when this movie comes out and where the studio is when the most recent film comes out are two very different studios. As much as again, we kind of have this vision of Disney has always been kind of this giant, like there are ebbs and flows to this company's history. And it's something that we will definitely see, especially talking about this first one. Uh, but it also is a franchise, obviously a much shorter franchise in the vein of King Kong, but a franchise that does have sort of, you're very much right in that, like, especially those last two movies, you know, which I have not seen on Stranger Tides in a long time. And I have also not really watched um, Dead Men Tell No Tales really ever. Um, so it'll be interesting to see sort of, it is a franchise that does take, in many people's eyes and even mine, a, a, a steep decline. And it'll be interesting to really see what, ha- what makes that decline so steep. Like what here, is here, the thing here? Here's the truth of the pirates franchise is that it has pretty much, I would argue the same trajectory and overall view of it as the diehard franchise does. Mm. And very similar in that I would argue that the first movie is a perfect movie. The next couple ones, you know, have their actually, high. The, ne- the next two have like their merits. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards it becomes the franchise that it becomes. Yeah. And Except Jack Sparrow's not supposed to be on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And they're they're led by two people who have pretty much overstayed their welcome in their franchises but for different reasons fair enough um but the but the interesting thing about the pirates movies is that i don't know if the pirates the you know pirates would get that same diehard credit only because it's a modern day blockbuster and and i think that is that's really what it is that's really what i want to explore this is sort of a modern day franchise that has for whatever reasons, mostly business-wise, but also, you know, general popularity has, you know, lasted to some degree. And, oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just saying, like, because... And, it's, and still, like, a big tenant. I mean, like, it's not to say that, you know, we know that other things are in development. You know, there was... there If there going to be a sixth Jack Sparrow film, we don't know. We definitely know that there's going to be some sort of thing with Disney+. Plus that might star Margot Robbie or Karen Gillan. Like there's so many different ways in which the franchise could still evolve. And it yeah. still is sort of like when you, whenever you see Disney do their kind of big Disney plus advertising or, or, or even in the parks at some degree, like when they have their fireworks shows and stuff, pirates is still a big part of sort of that live action section of the company. It, it's really their, if we're not counting Marvel and if we're not counting Star Wars, it's really their big original franchise. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That that no, is that, that is that is the, that is the cornerstone. This yeah. franchise remains the cornerstone of their non-remake stuff, truly. And so it'll be interesting to really reflect on sort of the entire evolution of, of pirates and what makes it so unique. And I think that's also what's going to be fun is sort of the pirates franchise is such a unique brand of franchise and, and the films themselves, there's a lot to take in from them. And there's a lot of, you know, things that these films really excel at in their own unique ways. So I think really rediscovering, these films especially the original trilogy because i know 
one of the reasons that we did want to do this is we were had a discussion recently with some friends that really sort of debated whether that original trilogy, you know, what is the the quality of the whole trilogy? And I know you and I have said we have been defenders of that original trilogy and that we are people that, you know, maybe it doesn't not perfect, but it, we, we genuinely enjoy the trilogy as a whole. And it'll be interesting to kind of take it all in. Well, because and, and really see it as a trilogy. I think, and I am not one to give just the blanket credit over other things for this reason. But the one thing about, you're right, about the Pirates franchise, especially the original trilogy, is that it really did feel like, you know, they were going for, it was, a, you know, an original property. Yes, it's based off the ride, but it, like for all intents and purposes, it was an original property that they went full hog on the original trilogy and in a way that was compared i was thinking about this while watching the, the the one today it's a very it was a very star wars approach in which you know they you know they they make this first one and then they make the second one which has like a huge vfx and budget jump mm -hmm. that they knew that they were going to make another one afterwards yeah, so, I mean, like they really, they really went for it, and it really wasn't until Stranger Tides and Dead Man Tell No Tales that it that that's when it kind of became like, now we're making a franchise because it, it you know it's lucrative and people like it. You know, it yeah. it felt like that that three trilogy was like you know like it's like we we like the the first one and yeah. we want to tell like this movie that spans three tr trilogies that was a huge blockbuster. And so I, I do give it some love and some credit for that. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it was one of those early, again, early films that were doing the like, oh, we're going to shoot these back to back type of things. Right. When they did two and three, they're like, OK, we're literally like shooting them somewhat at the same time. So um, I, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited, though. This discussion, it did make me realize, I think at some point we do have to do a review of Die Hard 5 on this podcast. Just to really, we've, we've referenced that movie so many times, and that movie has a, has a special connection, I think, for both of us, just in its dumbness. So someday, maybe we'll do Die Hard. Yeah. But for now, it's time for Pirates. All right, let's get into it. And of course, um, we have to start, you know, we won't talk about this too much, but we do have to start at the, the origins of Pirates in, in the Disney lore, and the origins of Pirates in the Disney lore, well, technically it's Treasure Island in 1950, but really... It's Pirates of the Caribbean, the original Disneyland attraction, which opens in 1967. Um, just a brief overview is originally going to be a walkthrough wax museum, but then Walt and company thought that it would be better to do more with that and become a boat ride, the boat ride that we do, do today. It was the last ride that Walt Disney personally worked on for before his death in, at the end of 1966. The attraction opened in 1967 to huge fanfare and great success and really that kind of one-two punch where Pirates opened in 1967 and then Haunted Mansion opens two years later in 1969. One-two punch of the essentially what could be considered the two most popular Disney attractions of all time. And the story I love to tell people, one of my favorite Disney stories, is that when they built Walt Disney World in 71, they weren't going to do Pirates because it was in Florida. And they're like, oh, nobody wants to see Pirates in Florida because Florida has already so many Pirates attractions. We're not building New Orleans Square, so we don't have a place to put it. All right, cool. We're just going to do we're going to make a, a old west version of pirates at some point and that'll be fine. 
the number one guest complaint when the park opened up was where's pirates? Why is there no pirates? So they had to quickly build one. And Disney realized at that point that pirates was a tenant of their parks and essentially became one of the most famous Disneyland attractions of all time and would continue to be built in other areas when they built Tokyo and Paris that they would all have their own person to pirates of the Caribbean. But really in terms of some of the pop culture old print that Disneyland left on itself, Pirates of the Caribbean was one of the major ones, especially as they headed into kind of the, the Waltless era of the 70s. Pirates of the Caribbean continued to be, you know, a, a big deal for them. And, and pirate culture, you know, permeated the company every once in a while when they would have films like Blackbeard's Ghost and everything like that. So we cut from 1967 into the 90s. Uh, a pair of writers named... Uh, Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio uh, are discussing ideas for films and they're like, oh, maybe we can do something with pirates because the pirate genre has an interesting history in of itself in that it was a very lucrative genre early on in Hollywood history. It kind of stood alongside, you know, the, in the early kind of 30s, 40s era, it kind of stood alongside those early Westerns and the early kind of Robin Hood and Errol Flynn type movies as sort of a, a, a larger genre. But whereas like the Westerns are the best comparison because whereas the Westerns would get their reinventions and their re-criticisms and sort of the neo-Westerns and like the, the Westerns that respond to old Westerns, the pirate genre never really got that. The pirate genre like really faded out quickly as you made your way into the 60s and 70s era of films. And then sort of the pirate films that got made in like the 70s, 80s, and early 90s were all major flops. There was just not any interest in sort of pirates as a subject for film. Because uh, most notably, 1994 movie called Cutthroat Island uh, was a, one of the biggest box office flops of the year. And so basically the pirate genre was in many ways dead, at least in the filmscape. But uh, Elliot and Rocio sort of had this idea and, and just like kind of were thinking like, okay, maybe we could do something based on you know, maybe if we give it a name like Pirates of the Caribbean, because that's already such a pop culture imprint from from the Disney parks, maybe that could be something fun. According to, um, I think, Ted Elliott, uh, Elliott and Rocio both kind of claim that at one point they were in contact with Steven Spielberg's people about potentially kind of getting on board. And there were some discussions about doing a version of it in the 90s that would have starred someone like Steve Martin or Robin Williams, a, a much more comedic take on it. But at that point in the 90s, Disney just wasn't interested in doing anything based on their park stuff in terms of movies. They were, you know, having a good time with the animated stuff and their, their parks themselves were probably at their biggest height going forward. Um, but that, that's just basically they didn't want to hear the pitch. And so Elliot and Rocio just kind of kept it in the back pocket um, and continued to talk about it, especially their main gist of that version was okay well the the ride has skeletons so maybe we should do something supernatural but that pitch never really got off the ground disney didn't want to hear it so something in the back of their heads we cut to um about 2002 and the disney studio is at a very different place than they were in the 90s in the 90s the disney studio was a very big success as we know the, the animated renaissance was a huge deal, you know, Little Mermaid onwards, just the company saw its fortunes change from the 80s, uh, thanks to the team of Michael Eisner, who had come in as CEO, 
Jeffrey Kratzenberg, who had, was leading the animation department uh, from a from a producer standpoint, and um, Eisner's right hand man, Frank Wells, that really shifted the company from being the small studio that it was from Walt's era all the way into the 80s into the beginnings of the mega powerhouse that we see today. That was kind of the origins of it. And so the studio was very successful in the 90s, but by 2002, things had, had gotten much worse. The, the animated films, just the, they had a string of not necessarily flops, but things that weren't necessarily hits either. Um, the parks were kind of at their, they had their kind of 90s peak and were kind of flattening out. The financial situation in the company was, was getting pretty dire. And, and people don't really remember that like at this point in time, there was a time where Disney was almost bought out by Comcast before things kind of turned around again in 2006. So the company was really looking for any sort of avenue that they could to kind of make some money. And one of the ideas was, okay, maybe we should turn to our parks uh, to develop some movies and develop some sort of known properties. So the first two that are kind of produced are Country Bears, which is not a good movie. Um and Pirates of the Caribbean. And some of the older executives that were still from the 90s remembered that this idea had come up. And so maybe, okay, let's do something with Pirates is probably, again, our most famous ride, that and Haunted Mansion. Let's figure out something to do with it. So Disney hires a writer named James Wolpert to do a script based on the film or based on the ride. Uh, And... Wolpert basically had a bunch of notes by different Disney executives Um, and his version features somewhat similar characters, but that version basically um, has Will Turner as a prison guard who teams up with Sparrow to save Elizabeth from Captain Blackheart. So very similar types of characters but not really a similar story. So kind of the, uh, the origins are starting to come up. And Disney, it's interesting, too, that Disney is sort of trying to bank on something in their live action department to kind of boost things. Because one thing about the history of the Disney company is since Walt's death in the 66, their live action successes have been few and far between. Yes, you have the Herbie films. You have like a a slight success in a a race to which mountain here or there, uh, like a Mighty Ducks franchise. But more often than not, you have things like the Dick Tracy's and the Rocketeers that are kind of a lot more sort of these these ideas of big franchises that never get off the ground. And your big franchise success, not big franchises, but your biggest film successes in the company's history are all the Touchstone productions like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Splash, Three Men and a Baby. Like those are the big names. The actual Disney studio itself really hasn't had a huge hit in, in a number of years, but they're trying any avenue they can to make money for the studio, to make a budget. So at this point, they have this script. Disney has this script. And there is a debate internally at this point. OK, well, we have a script. Do we kind of keep developing it and, and kind of try to make it a theatrical quality release? Or do we put it out as a direct video? Because, again, at this point, the Disney studio, especially on their animated side, was doing all the direct-to-video animated sequels. And so why don't we do something live action? So there was kind of a a pitch on the table to do this version of the script as a direct-to-video feature starring Christopher Walken as Jack Sparrow. 
Um, but that was quickly kind of shoved. You can't, this. You can't see it. You, you the, the, the there's a huge smile on my face. Yeah, hearing that one. Um, as well as um, uh, the Carrie Ooze as well. Uh, because we'll we'll talk about this in a little bit. The the original version of Jack Sparrow is very different than the one we see in the movie. Um. And that is more so made when Disney decides, okay, we're going to get another writer on board. Uh, Steve Beatty was on board in uh, early 2002 to rewrite the script because he had an intimate knowledge of piracy that he was a screenwriter, but did have was noted as like when he was, we came in the interview for the script. He was like, well, I do kind of research pirates on my own time. So I have sort of an interest in pirates. So this version of the script starts to get slightly more towards the version of the movie itself. Um, but Stuart, uh, he decides to really shift the Jack Sparrow character more to a kind of Burt Lancaster type, just kind of traditional kind of uh, good looking smarmy pirate type of thing. And so that's kind of where it is that kind of Jack Sparrow is kind of more, more of a normal person is the best way to put it. Kind of, again, Burt Lancaster trying to capture kind of an older, classic Hollywood style of pirate and of star. That's what kind of Beatty is, is, is uh, seeing in his head. And at this point, newly appointed head of Walt Disney Pictures, Dick Cook, he's really kind of banking on this as being something that he is one of the first projects he's really working on. And he wants it to be something that he can hang his hat on. He wants to get something that will truly be, if not special, at least something that will make his mark. Okay. Like this is the new future of Disney. So he wants to kind of go all in on this. And his first thought, once he gets this new version of the script is okay, let's contact Jerry Bruckheimer, Jerry Bruckheimer course one of the famous producer names in hollywood history uh the producer that was known for his action the big explosions sort of the bombastic nature of his films like you kind of knew what a jerry bruckheimer film was like i always talked about it where like my parents think that jerry bruckheimer directed the pirates films like they think like he's a like this because the name is so actually known and you see like the bruckheimer productions thing like they're there is sort of an unknown quality to what Bruckheimer brings to the table. And so Dick Cook was like, well, if we bring Bruckheimer in, he's going to give this script some direction. He's going to give this movie the push it needs. And Bruckheimer's first thing is like, there is potential with some of the action in this movie, but it's just a pirate movie. There's nothing special about it. And we've seen pirate movies not work for many, many years. So what's going to make this one different? So this is when Dick Cook you know, talks and sees like the history, you know, goes through the pirates, you know, production and figures out that, oh, tell Elliot, uh, Elliot and Rocio not only have worked with us before, they had, were just working on Treasure Planet. They were they had worked on Aladdin a couple years prior to this. Not only do we have them kind of a, a relationship with these guys, but they had a pitch for pirates way back when. So why don't we talk to them? And Elliot and Rocio bring back their idea well you got to add supernatural stuff the ride starts off with a bunch of these pirates you know drinking wine and sitting in you know gold treasure rooms and stuff like that's what you need in the movie and it is, it, it is interesting sorry to interrupt but like what's so funny about it is that how much thought when it because you're right because i guess like you know, 
the western kind of has a leg up in then the then a pirates film because you could get away if it was a western you could kind of just get away with making a western i don't know if you can necessarily just get away with making a pirate movie that's not just like master and commander or something like that so yeah. it's interesting like how are we going to make like the ultimate good time pirate movie it's yes. just interesting to me to think of it that way yeah so so elliot and rocio kind of bring in this idea of, well, you have to add that supernatural elements to the movie. You have to kind of come up with this sort of curse or something like that. So Dick Cook immediately brings him on board and uh, they begin to rewrite the, the previous script to kind of really fit their you know, vision of what Pirates of the Caribbean should be, especially with uh, some of the experience that after the pirate script was rejected in the 90s, um, Ted Elliott had worked on a, a Monkey Island movie for Lucasfilm uh, that never had gotten off the ground. Uh, so a lot of the ideas that he had for that Monkey Island movie eventually did make their way back into both this film and other Pirates films down the line. Uh, so this my, is my uh, my girlfriend um, walked me through Monkey Island lore because mm-hmm. she was kind of it because it was like eventually was it at this point or was it eventually kind of like a game like, uh, uh, so originally originally was a game right. it was it originally was like the series of lucas arts point and click adventures right right so she had played the games and then we were talking about pirates and then she brought up monkey island and then we and, and so it was just interesting hearing the parallels mm-hmm. absolutely so Elliot and Rocio are getting kind of the script together and, and Disney wants to kind of get this movie rolling. Cause they really, again, they don't have that much in, in the can. And again, this kind of country bear movie that comes out in 2002 that everybody knows it's everybody's confused on why they made a pirate, uh, a country bear movie. And that's a whole story in and of itself that I'm not going to get into today. Uh, so immediately as Elliot and Rocio are doing this rewrite and kind of adding their flair, their very Elliot and Rocio flair to the movie. Uh, Disney is looking for directors and the eventual director that they get on board for this, for the vision is Gore Verbinski. Now Gore Verbinski at this point in time was sort of like he had, he had started off his career with film career with the successful film mouse hunt. And then is that his first movie? That's his first feature. He did some shorts before. That's his first feature. I recently rewatched that because I watched that as a kid and I rewatched it the other day. It's a it, it is a fun of the time movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that was <laughs> the kind of seen it? I have. It's been a long, 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 long time. Like, I haven't seen it in a long time. I don't think I've actually like, sat down and watched it. I think it was on in the background somewhere. It, it's one of those. It, it's just one of those movies where, you know, the plot of it, right? Like, yes. Yeah. Ethan Lane and the other guy, they move into a house and then there's a mouse that it's it's basically live action Tom and Jerry. Yes, yeah. Except Tom is is the world and Jerry's still the mouse. And so Gore Verbinski was just finishing up his highly anticipated uh, horror film, The Ring. You know, which of course is a remake of the the Japanese mm-hmm. film, and that was going to be everybody knew it was going to be a major success, and he was sort of becoming like, okay, well, he's kind of that horror, like he's going to direct a horror film and then transition into something a bit bigger and that pirates ended up being the thing that made him, you know, that, that got, he got the deal for that. He became the director of pirates of the Caribbean. And, um, 
he he really was interested in this idea of reviving the pirate genre, but with very modern effects. Like he wanted this movie to be like one of the, some of the coolest effects of all time, especially as Elliot and Rocio added in the skeleton curse idea. Uh, he wanted this to be just a very impressive feat of visual effects filmmaking that brought back a genre that really, again, had died in the forties and the fifties that, that this was kind of kind of be an old school kind of production uh, as well as Gore being a big fan of the ride uh, of the original attraction. And what he wanted to do is he really wanted to capture the original attractions, very distinct mix of scary and fun because, you know, again, you have kind of the drops that are scary, but also again, like kind of the creepy vibe of the skeletons and sort of the, the haunting nature of that opening part. And then you get to, you know, what's represented as Tortuga and you have kind of all these kind of crazy scenes with pirates, you know, falling off of boats and trying to get out of jail and stuff like that. So we wanted to kind of really capture that tone. And he thought it was just a unique and very specific type of tone. Um, so they start to get on board with sort of the script. Elliot and Rocio again are adding their very specific Rocio and Elliot flares. They're adding more references to the ride. They're adding more of the supernatural stuff, more visual effects stuff, kind of slightly deepening the characters. And with that, it's time for them to start casting because Disney, you know, we're in May of 2002 right now. Disney wants to start filming in October. Like they want this movie to get really, the idea is they're going to film in October to March of next year and release it in summer 2003. They don't want to wait on this movie. They just want to get it out there. They want to put it out there. So the, the movie's kind of really coming along at a, at, a, at, a, at a decently fast pace. So Gore is tasked with sort of casting the film. And of course, to start off with is the story of the casting of Jack Sparrow. And the thing about the casting of Jack Sparrow is, you know, a lot of this is based off the Stuart Beatty script that Elliot and Rocio are rewriting. And in that Stuart Beatty script, he specifically wrote the part of Jack Sparrow with Hugh Jackman in mind. No way. And because he was like, okay, I the Beatty was an Australian, Hugh Jackman was an Australian. He thought he could capture kind of this roguish charm, thought would be good. Disney did not see it because yes, Jackman had been in uh, X Men at this point, yeah, at the time, yeah. but you know it was like, okay, well, X Men was really led by Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. It wasn't, you know, Jackman was kind of like, you know, a big role, but not like I an attraction. Yeah, I don't think people knew he could do that at the right, time right and I, it's just like, like did... today well even though he did go to play a flamboyant pirate eventually but um in um the, the peter pan movie oh the one with the, the 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 one with um where they sing uh nirvana right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so he he ended up doing that eventually but like that would be something that now you knew he could do mm -hmm. you, you like that he could play a role like that yeah uh so it was one of those things where he that 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 Disney didn't feel like he was that well known out of Australia, and they they kind of wanted someone who was not necessarily like a hundred percent bankable star, as we'll see when we talk about Depp, 
but someone that the audiences could know and just, hey, that, I know that guy. Um, there was also the, as, as kind of a lot you hear about this time, the Jim Carrey camp was interested and, and, and heard about it, but then realized that, oh, it would, it would conflict with the Bruce Almighty. Um, it is fascinating to hear how much Jim Carrey was in talk for things. Yes, right? We've talked about this a couple. You're like, really? They wanted they really wanted him for that. Like that. And and a lot of times, like it's like him coming up, and it's like, oh well, I can't do this for this. So he was going to do Bruce Almighty, so we couldn't do the filming. Again, there was a couple of other names that were sort of put together. Um, In terms of that, you kind of had like even a Michael Keaton for so different versions of it. But eventually, they land on Depp, and the reason they land on Depp is that there's Disney executives that like Depp, and even though Depp had not really proven himself as a true box office star at this point. There was still enough upside to depth where it's like, well, we can, he, he, he will unlock that potential at some point. Mm-hmm. But at, the, at this point that he's kind of supposed to kind of play it straight and, you know, be kind of this Burke Lancaster old school Hollywood type of actor, you know, playing kind of an old school Hollywood part. Depp liked the script a lot because he thought it was fascinating that it kind of did flip the pirate genre on its head that, you know, the traditional pirate movie has a mutiny and the mutiny already happened. And he's like, well, the famous favorite thing about the script was instead of trying to find treasure, the pirates are trying to put the treasure back like that. He, that immediately like, you know, had his mind spinning and he he just really wanted to take in the role. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about depth once we kind of talk about the rest of the cast, um, I do want to talk about, we also have Orlando Bloom as Will Turner. And uh, this one came down to two, two names. A lot, of, a lot of the young names of Hollywood could have centered, but Gore Verbinski, it came down to two names. It was going to be Orlando Bloom or it was going to be Heath Ledger. And eventually, Orlando Bloom was chosen because, and I love that Gore admitted this, he said, I had heard that he was good in Lord of the Rings. He didn't see Lord of the Rings, but he was like, okay, like he was good in Lord of the Rings. The Lord Incredible. of the Rings. Incredible. That's like, awesome. And that like the Lord of the Rings films were successful, so he would be the more kind of bankable star. Um, and, and Bloom, again, was very intrigued by, you know, kind of having a little bit more of a, a larger role than he did in the Lord of the Rings films, even though he does have, you know, a very sizable role in those and kind of the sword play also very much appealed to him. Uh, Kira Knightley as Elizabeth Swan. Again, the famous story about this is that Kira Knightley lied about her age uh, to be in this movie that by the time, like the movie came out, she had just, yeah, we're gonna, t- that's not the first time Kira Knightley's age is going to come up in this. Yeah. <laughs> in today's conversation. Um, you know, by the time that the movie eventually releases, she's 18. But like when she's auditioning, she's still like 16, 17. She was just coming off Bend It Like Beckham, which, again, Gore Verbinski had not heard of. He didn't know who Keira Knightley was. So she just came into an audition that she almost missed due to traffic, um, but just thought she was good. Though Knightley, one of the things she always talks about with this movie in particular is how uh, she had... Uh, she had prosthetic boobs for most of the movie because they thought that she needed bigger boobs. And she thought at the time she was like, this is awesome. Cause I've never had big boobs. Now it's kind of reflecting. It's kind of like, Oh, that's kind of crazy that you need big boobs in a movie. 
Also, fun fact, she talks about that. I only I thought it was just because of the 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 wardrobe. I didn't yeah. know it was that. But funny story is that she talks about that a lot in the commentary. Yes. Like she always brings it up in the commentary. With that yeah. same attitude. Like her attitude was like, oh my God, look at that. <laughs> um and she she was convinced she would be found out about the uh the uh you know her age and everything like that. So she said that she packed like extra stuff just in case she had to leave in like an instant and she got fired. Um, and I wanted to mention Jeffrey Wright uh, as our villain of the movie, Barbosa. Rush. Oh, Jeffrey Rush, yes. Yeah. Excuse me, not Jeffrey Wright. Yeah. <laughs> I've watched a lot of What That's If the, recently. That, that is the watcher. He is your guy. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey Rush. So Jeffrey Rush um, was... Uh, one of the first people that Gore actually wanted for the movie. And what Gore said about Rush was that what he thought Rush would bring is that Rush wouldn't bring like a complexity to Barbosa that he planted him with this simple villainy that he thought would really fit sort of the tone of the movie. Um, that he, he knew that Rush would just kind of nail sort of the villainous aspect of the character more so than anything else. Um, so that's kind of the main ones that, that um, you know, Gore really wanted. Originally for the role of Governor Governor Swan, uh, Gore Verbinski was talking to Tom Wilkinson for the role. Um, but eventually Wilkinson dropped out and the role went to Jonathan Price, whom Depp was elated to have on set because Price was one of his idols. And, and Depp was a huge fan of Price in Brazil, of course, is, you know, Price is going to say famous it's probably thing. Brazil. It's Bra probably so Brazil. Brazil. <laughs> yeah, so there's that. Um, most of the rest of the cast comes in through auditions uh, Jack Davenport is Norrington, Kevin R. McNally is Gibbs, stuff like that. Um, though we do, I, I, it's funny doing research is that I always knew, I always knew this was like young Zoe Saldana in this movie. Okay. So this is the, the thing in the movie that is like the biggest, Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so kind of doing research about it. Um, I found out that she had an absolutely terrible time making yep. this movie. Uh-huh. Yep. Cause she said that it wasn't like she said the cast was great, but this was her first experience with kind of the 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 backstage politics of Hollywood and sort of like the crew and sort of the producers were more so kind of like made it a living hell for her on set. And she said she legitimately almost quit the business because of just how bad the experiences was with the producers on set and everything like that. So um, and sort of like the kind of politics of like her name being lower on a call sheet. And so people weren't treating her with, with certain respect. So it was interesting because I always like when you watch the trilogy, it's always weird that like her character has such a significant connection with Sparrow in this movie. And then she never shows up again and kind of, kind of makes sense why. Uh, and, well, we'll get to that in the, there, there's a fun fact about that character in the next movie behind mm -hmm. the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the cast is put together. Uh, they're going to, um, you know, start kind of production and they get to the first read through. And this is another famous story at the movie. They get to the first read through and Johnny Depp shows up with a bunch of gold plates on his teeth and putting on this extremely weirdo eccentric performance that nobody really expected and it kind of takes everybody aback 
Um, because again, the character was written as a, as more of a straight laced pirate rogue, and, and here was Depp basically being like just an absolute crazy man, like just in in comparison to what they were expecting. This is where it began. Yes, and so you know, it's like at one point the producers like, so is Depp drunk or is the character gay? Like we don't know what's going on. Um. The producers are kind of intrigued, like like Bruckheimer and Verbinski. Verbinski actually loves it a lot and he thinks it's a very unique and crazy quality of the movie. And Bruckheimer wasn't initially too worried about it. It was like, okay, well, if we don't have Sparrow as the heartthrob, well, we still have Bloom. So Bloom can br- play that role and play kind of the 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 hot young lead and, and we can let Jep do his thing. Though once they started filming and the dailies were coming through, Bruckheimer said he became a little bit more worried just about what was going on on screen. Michael Eisner famously said in a screening of dailies, he's ruining the movie. And Depp said like, listen, like if you want to let me go, like I will go. If you want to do something else, do something else. But I love how it's not like, well, let, let, let's workshop the character. It's just like, well, this is what it's going to be. So if you don't like it, we can go in a different direction, which is kind of, I guess, polite. So he's basically he's like, yeah, these are the choices are made. If you don't like them, I will, you know, we can we can part ways. And they, at that point, they were just like, well, let's just keep going with it. Let's just make it work. Um, and spoiler, they make it work. So um, Verbinski's big design philosophy on the movie is that he didn't want to. uh he wanted it to be, he didn't want it to be romanticized. He didn't want it to be sort of like, we look back on this era and how we look back on it. He wanted to have an historical accuracy. He, he called the film historical fantasy. So he basically made sure that all the costumes were very period, you know, accurate. Um, he gave everybody, you know, various contact lenses to kind of give them a more kind of different, darker eyed look and everything like that, especially, uh, Depp, who would um, you know wear kind of contacts that acted as sunglasses, um, you know, to make sure that they had like kind of rotten teeth and and kind of the scurvy skin from days at sea. Gore really wanted to make this film feel like an actual you know of the era movie, and, and with again the modern philosophies in film design and film effects, he just wanted it to be truly authentic. Um, the film was budgeted at 140 million. And of course, Eisner kind of complained to Bruckheimer, why does it have to be that expensive? And Bruckheimer responded, that's what your competition's spending. They're spending 150 million to make the Matrix. They're spending 160 million to make Four of the Rings. If you wanna, if you wanna compete, these are the mo- types of movies you have to make. This is the type of money you have to, to make on these. And so eventually Eisner was like, okay, that's fair. Um, but Eisner was very kind of, you know, worried about the film. So he, he kind of wanted a lot of the ride references out of the way, which Rocio and Elliot saved a lot of them on, on the actual movie itself in terms of the script. Many of them still do make it in. And the most distinctive thing that Eisner requests is that the film does not start with any studio logos. There's no Disney logo. There's no Bruckheimer Productions logo. The very distinctive thing about this movie is that it just starts off with the title card and that's it. And that's because... Eisner just didn't want it necessarily associated yet with Pirates of the Caribbean or sorry with Disney. They did. They did. He didn't want people to make necessarily that connection when they were watching the movie. 
Is that the is that for the rest of the movies too? No, the rest of the movies do have the uh, the uh, intros. They, yeah, they, they have his uh, his tree getting hit by lightning. Yes, and they have the they, they, and they have the castle logo, the updated right, castle okay. logo too. And I believe some of them do have the special castle logo that they sometimes do with these movies, where it's like, look, we made a different one. Yes. Um, yeah, they do. Check for the the trilogy though. I know the like, the last two do. I'm pretty sure they do, if I remember correctly. But I guess we'll see. Um, Originally, they were going to film on the big tank that had been used for Titanic, that had been built for Titanic. But you mentioned it earlier, they were filming Master and Commander on that tank. So instead, much of the film was filmed on location on St. Vincent uh, in the in the actual Caribbean Bahamas area, because St. Vincent was determined to be the quietest beach of any of the you know islands they could find. And so they built a back lot on St. Vincent that represented Port Royal and Tortuga, as well as a bunch of different piers. Um, of course, we also have to talk about the ships of the film, the Black Pearl, the Dauntless, and the Interceptor. As I've mentioned before, the Interceptor is a ship we've seen on this podcast. It is the same ship that was in Star Trek Generations, uh, was a very famous ship out of um, uh, Washington, Aberdeen, Washington, uh, that was constantly used for films that needed ships of this era. Uh, so they redressed it in Aberdeen and sailed it all the way to St. Vincent to represent the Interceptor. Uh, whereas the Black Pearl and the Dauntless were built um, out of uh, barges uh, consider uh, that use computer-generated imagery to finish the actual ships themselves. Uh, whereas the Interceptor was a true full ship, the Black Pearl and the Dauntless were special effects ships, uh, especially the, the Black Pearl, which had the most distinctive look of the three ships. Um, also, a miniature was built of the Interceptor for the major storm sequence in the movie, um, uh, whereas the Black Pearl and the Dauntless, again, because they were on barges, had a lot more controlling in terms of how they would function in terms of bad weather and everything like that, in terms of the effect sequences. Uh, Elliot and Rocio were on set every day, and the, the, a lot of the script actually comes together on set partially because of Depp's performance, that the script kind of had to change a lot, and they had to add a few things to Sparrow's character to, to make Depp's performance work with the, with, the, with the version that we see on screen. Um, as well that they added a couple of major stories. They add the backstory to how Sparrow, uh, the story of how Sparrow escapes the, the island he's mutineered on. And they add a few more comedy bits to the final bit of the movie, including making sure Jonathan Price is on board the battleship to give a little more comedy to what's going on in the ship as well. Uh, and the final thing to note again is the special effects. Um, and the fact that, you know, they were making this movie very quickly. So Disney and Gore Verbinski contacted uh, Industrial Light and Magic right away. And basically a very similar Industrial Light and Magic in the early days when they were doing um, Wrath of Khan, where it's just like, okay, we're working on this right now. Like we're, we're starting this right now. And obviously the big, the big effect of the movie are the skeletons, are the fact that whenever the pirates are in moonlight, they turn into the skeletons. And Industrial Light and Magic knew that, like, okay, we have to really capture the specific actors' performances because when they were transitioning from one to the other, if you don't recognize the pirate, you know, if you don't recognize the actor, the effect is lost. So basically, they would basically shoot the scene kind of three times. 
they would shoot the scene with all the actors doing all the sword fights. Then they would shoot this or, or all whatever they're doing. They would shoot the scene with all the skeleton pirates off screen so they could insert the, the skeletons where they were. And then they would have the actors go back and shoot their performances on a green screen so they could easily match it up with the skeleton work. And this was especially difficult in scenes where actors were going in and out of moonlight, uh, especially at, towards the end of the movie where there really was a lot of clever editing and, and, and how they would put all this together to make it work and make it look as if, you know, they were actually transitioning very clearly from skeleton to human and back. And this was also complicated by the fact that many of the battle scenes in the movie Verbinski used a handheld camera for. So instead of having these very smooth, you know, what, you know, movements for the camera and makes it easier for the animators to put things in a lot more shakiness than, and than the, uh, the actual industrial might and magic team had anticipated. So uh, a lot of really hard work went into to this effect, and it was obviously very highly regarded and, and uh, for the work that they did. But the movie shoots from October to March of 2003 with a release scheduled for uh, that July, basically beginning of July. So Verbinski essentially sort of spent 18-hour days from March to June editing the movie which included all the effects like, you know, he had to edit everything in the movie, including all like 600 effect shots. And he said that what was interesting, too, was that, again, for editing the movie, for all the difficulty of doing the skeleton stuff, a majority of the effect shots in the movie were just him removing boats from the scenes with the with the ships because they had to have different, you know, camera crews and everything. So. They had to be in the scene when they shot. So a lot of them was like he said, 250 of the effects were just removing ships from water to make it look like it. You know, the boats are the only ones out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was a movie. It's interesting too to note that it was a movie that the closer they got to release, the more confidence Disney had in the film. That once the actual editing started coming together, the effects started coming together, this sort of horror this horrifying film in terms of like, you know, it's kind of a initially a producer's nightmare. Oh, this is a big budget movie that was going to, that has a weird performance and weird effects and it, you know, no one's going to want to see it. And as the movie came together, there was a lot more sort of like, hmm, maybe we do have something here to the point where the film was originally just called Pirates of the Caribbean. And at the very last minute, the, the subtitle curse of the black pearl was added because the executives at Disney kind of thought that, if this does well, we we have a franchise here. I like that. As a as a as a person who loves um, franchise subtitles and the uniformity of them, I like that foresight. Oh, last thing I should mention before we go before we move on to the movie, um, the score. The score was originally going to be done by Alan Silvestri, who had worked with Verbinski on a number of different projects, uh, but. Bruckheimer thought that Sylvester's score wouldn't be bombastic enough for what the movie needed. So instead, Bruckheimer, you know, oversteps, you know, Verbinski's decision and convinces Verbinski to hire instead Klaus Baldat um, with an uncredited assist from Hans Zimmer uh, on, the, on the score of this movie. And the score of this movie comes together very quickly. And uh, the, the iconic nature of it 
it is partially because sort of the, the last minute change in um, com composition. And with that, Will, that is the history of the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. And I think now it's time for us to discuss just how good this movie is. Let's do it. That's the second time I've had to watch that man sail away with my ship. But you were marooned on this island before, weren't you? So we can escape in the same way you did then. To what point and purpose, young Missy? The Black Pearl is gone. Unless you have a rudder and a lot of sails hidden in that bodice. Unlikely. Young Mr. Turner will be dead long before you can reach him. But you're Captain Jack Sparrow. You vanished from under the eyes of seven agents of the East India Company. You sacked Nassau Port without even firing a shot. Are you the pirate I've read about or not? How did you escape last time? Last time, I was here a grand total of three days, all right. Last time, the rum runners used this island as a cache, came by and I was able to barter passage off. Looks of things, they've long been out of business. Probably have your bloody friend Norrington to thank for that. So that's it then. That's the secret grand adventure of the infamous Jack Sparrow. He spent three days lying on a beach drinking rum. Welcome to the Caribbean, love. All right, everybody, here we are. It's time. That was a quote, whatever quote I pick, because it'll be very hard to actually pick a quote for this movie because there are Just so many blast, good ones. Blast the theme song. That's our opening yeah, intro, dude. Yeah, That's our opening it, intro. It should always be played. <laughs> Just entire over the entire just re on yeah, re -loop yeah, yeah, underneath yeah. us. Yeah. Um, did, did you ever, when podcasts first started, do you remember when people were in the early days, you would so often hear like people try to put music under like the podcast do you remember when people were doing i think that? i i just missed that era of podcasting there, there i think were, there were a few i remember in the very early days that were doing that and then i think it became very standard practice not to do that well yeah i think people realize like it is just very much like talk radio just right mm -hmm. without like i think people were like starting to right. do too much with with podcasting I mean, and, and now it's... it works if you get some like lo-fi like maybe it works yeah. but right um, oh i mean you need it for the ad reads right you need the like little little beats for the ad reads like actually you know what? i'm gonna bring this up for later i want to hear pirates theme lo-fi <laughs> jesus because uh, i want to hear what it sounds like um not, not right now i'm just pulling it up yeah later. but we, we we've come a long way in terms yeah. of podcasting and we were talking about the podcast today with a movie that is extremely good <laughs> like it is they, amongst the best by the way it's only they they, they do have the davy jones theme lo-fi okay kind of makes sense anyway yes this movie uh this movie uh you know every the way i've always described this movie was that this movie is the type of movie that as soon as the credits roll and if you just restarted it i'd watch it again yeah that's the type of movie this is and it really it's just so good. It's such a good movie. It's like a it's a pretty perfect film. And what I really 
what's really fun about rewatching this movie is just really, especially this first one, just how unique feeling it is. There's really no other blockbusters that feel like this, that look like this, that just give you this exact type of feeling. And, and you know, obviously, like there are films that I enjoy blockbuster wise. Like I've talked many Marvel films, many Mission Impossible films, like every other flavor. But there's something about, especially this first Pirates movie, where it's just the tone, the music, the look, the humor, the characters, the setting that it's just, it has such a unique feel to it. And well, that's I, what makes this movie so much fun to enjoy. I think, I think the reason you and I really advocate for especially this movie, because it is one of those movies that you watch and then you, you kind of do like, I have a complicated relationship with saying things are overrated or underrated because overrated just means you just don't like something. And so that's <laughs> more of a you problem. And then underrated is like, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's a little bit more understandable, but it's still like it, it, those comments are more, you're judging based off of the, the culture around it rather than the work itself. But that being said, this is one of those movies that when you hear about the list of great recent movies and you see the list, this is one of those movies that is very much missing from those conversations yeah. that I think that inarguably should be in the list of like some of the great movies made of recent memories. And And I do feel that because of the next couple movies that have come down the line, and because it is a modern day Disney blockbuster, it, 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 it unfairly gets not part of the conversation because of that, mm -hmm. I think. Yes. It's, I, I think what's so, to me, it's a movie that when you watch it and then you just realize it's a banger scene after a banger scene, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you get, like if you just think about it, it's like the intro to Sparrow and then you get the Sparrow's escape and then you get the Will and Sack sword fight and then you get the sacking of Tortuga and then you get the scene with like, you know, Elizabeth and Barbosa, like the parlay scene. And then you get like there. It's like it's just literally like scene after scene after scene after scene. It's just every scene is so good and it's just so entertaining and everything just flows so perfectly together. It's just incredible. Like how well this movie turned out. Like it really is. Some, sometimes it's hard to really gauge like how good the script is. I think because it's like, I always feel like you never really exactly know based off of the final yeah. product, but this is one of those movies where the script is just so good like the way and I'm not even talking about dialogue I'm just talking about how the plot moves forward and and some of that is the editing and some of that is the, the directing but the mechanics of how everything works like how seamless you establish certain characters how seamless like all right you've established the coin and then like you have this bit where she falls off of the the, the side into the ocean and how very very efficiently you establish like okay the coin sends out a sonar to something and then like and then you just move on from that and then it like ties in okay now the pirates show up and and you kind of also you get everything and the movie also does its due diligence by like explaining everything which is also really funny like it didn't occur to me until like until well into the movie about how much the movie was just really explaining everything but it never feels that way no but this is this is if you're looking for a movie that does exposition extremely well like yes. pirates curse of the black pearl is one of the one of the best i think mm -hmm. because 
I think it does stuff where you get it's just because exposition just has to be entertaining and though well, all the ex- it to the most entertaining characters in the yes in, in the film mm-hmm. yeah yeah it, it, it yeah for sure um everything about it is just really just well put together and as a disney fan as a fan of the ride i i remember in college we i had an assignment in a class like like one of the essay writing classes that i wanted to that you had we had to do an assignment about an adaptation we had to compare an adaptation to you know its original source material and like you know had to do the whole like uh you know citing stuff and i tried to pitch to my teacher like i want to do pirates of the caribbean and obviously i couldn't because there's no technical source material so i did pinocchio instead but the reason i wanted to do it was what i love about this movie is obviously you're basing it off a ride and you know the, the ride that really doesn't have a story to a, to any degree but you capture the real feeling of that ride not just with the specific references like you get like the the skeleton drinking wine you get the dog with the keys but it really does capture sort of that again just sort of this sort of the the, the again the horror stuff that we talked about with the skeletons with sort of the the, the wild mark davis type humor that you see in the actual, you know, town scenes. And it's such a perfect means of what adaptation is. It's capturing the feeling, but also doing your own thing. And obviously this movie had to do much of its own thing, but I've always loved just how it captures the feeling of the magic of the original attraction. And then this movie specifically really does bring that all together. Um, As well as, like I said, like having fantastic performances, great characters that are not, to you know and obviously as the series goes on the lore and the characters and all that gets so expanded in a very you know way that we will talk about but this movie really kind of gets that lore and the characters and the character interactions and the humor all just right and it's all just so so fun it's just a fun entertaining movie that like it never lets up too like i think that's really it's just one of those movies where, yes, there might be like kind of like a, a slightly slower scene, but even the slowest of scenes are just magical in their own way. Uh, it's so well directed. Um, this is easily, easily, easily the best script that Tell Elliot and Rocio have ever touched. And I have my criticisms of Elliot and Rocio, especially when they're doing stuff on their own, which I, we will see going forward. But man, like when they do have such a good mind, especially when they're working on the kind of sort of established scripts of just the moments that make a movie magical. Yeah, this is one of those movies where it is interesting. Like the commentaries for these movies are actually really good. Actually, the only the only bad thing about them is that there's not one on At World's End, which kind of is very frustrating. But... It, it's fun to hear them talk about the process of writing these movies mm-hmm. and and you got to give them credit because they, they they are invested they know what they're talking about they 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 are able to the process of how they weave in in and out storylines in the in these films is like th- this is definitely a a high point of their career i feel um so yeah that that is um that is interesting yeah it's just you just watch the movie 
and you just have a grin on your face the entire yeah. time. Like, it's just even after all these years and and it is funny, like the only kind of like, you know, uh, little little razzing I will give it is that it, it is funny watching it. And then you'll see for better or for worse, like some of like maybe the, you know, the the just where the franchise goes yes like, you know in the lessons that it may be it may be learned or hadn't learned as it goes forward so like i'm just thinking about like the little the little like back and forth uh quippy dialogues like you know like little bits like that like the wordplay between like yeah. the wordplay oh my god is such like a pirates of the caribbean staple yes like just tripping each other up on like you know like a turn of phrase or where it is it's such a big thing the, like i said the rube goldberg like type of set pieces is um is uh is uh is, is also a big staple oh and it definitely gets bigger as the series yeah, goes on yeah, for sure maybe. i'm already thinking of the one at the end of dead man's chest right yeah, now yeah exactly so um but I think that's what it is like, and especially it does get established for such movie and we'll see it going forward. But that is one of the fun, unique things about pirates is just the way that those action sequences are conducted again, very well put together stuff, especially when you're considering that it's all like, again, sword play and, you know, pistols and everything like that. And eventually more supernatural, you know, and then again, the supernatural elements kind of, you know, expand everything about this movie gets expanded on, especially in those original two sequels. But it is really nice to go back to this one and, and just see the slightly lower key that they are in this movie. Like, you know, the, the skeletons are impressive, but they're not like overused, obviously, because it would be very hard, and very costly to do it. But they're kind of used just the right amount of times um, in this movie. And, and like you could even talk about and well, I'm sure we'll talk about it a lot as the movies goes on, which is how the Jack Sparrow character starts in this movie like in terms of this movie and then sort of the 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 kind of homerization that he goes oh, through yeah, 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 as yeah. as the movies goes on but like just how well he starts well, and, and and what's interesting about this movie is that like what is like the best way to think about it because it's interesting because as the movies go on he is way more of like the central main character yes it's specifically in like the last two right in the last two he is like the character you follow uh mm -hmm. and then like everything and it's interesting because so much centers around him like and as opposed to this movie where it is much more of a I don't know if it's a full ensemble, but he's not like the central character. There's there's just as much with Will and Elizabeth right. in this movie. Like you, you I mean the the movie like it's like there is an argument to be made that like Elizabeth is the true main character of this right. movie because it's like the movie starts off with her and of all the characters it's her and Will that have kind of the the that change and grow throughout the movie. So it's really like their movie and really Elizabeth's movie and as they go forward you know, they both still have really big parts of this trilogy, well, Elizabeth, it, Elizabeth, especially. It, it's like if you had Han Solo, but you just kind of give him a little bit more like flair and something and you focus on him just a little bit more than you do. I'm trying to think of like a movie where it's not the main character, but he's like the standout character. Yeah. Then and and is like um, and is 
like a part of because like, I always considered it to be like the trio of it. But this is also a movie where like the villain feels like a main character. Yeah, no. I and, mean, villains are main characters, but it, he feels like a lead in the movie. That's also something that's really distinct, I think, about the Pirates franchise and stuff we'll see going forward. I think all three of the original trilogy films do very good jobs with their villainous characters and, and, and kind of yeah, making yeah, yeah. them feel like whole characters, especially once you get to Davy Jones in the next one, which I'm very excited to get into. But yeah. we, should need, we need to talk about this one a little bit more first. I know we're we're getting ahead of ourselves yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. And is it, but, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say it is interesting, too, because these are going to be films, you know, other franchises we've done. We've seen, you know, maybe not all the movies in the franchise or maybe one of us has the other person hasn't. This one is one that we've, I mean, I haven't seen uh, Dead Man Down on Tales, but I've seen, you know, I'm familiar with all the rest of them. So it'll be interesting to kind of pick up on how things really kind of flow from that perspective too. So, but, but so here's, here's an interesting place to start. Cause you mentioned the, where the Jack Sparrow character goes. And this actually kind of makes me think of like most of the cast, I think with the exception of Orlando Bloom, which it was like this in, in uh, Lord of the Rings for me. With, with him like he was always like oh it's legolas or well like he, he was just kind of like back and forth like two sides of the same coin type of so that was really the only one i knew but for i actually think and this is maybe interesting to hear but i think this was my introduction to most of these actors i'll be too yeah for sure so it was my introduction to johnny depp it was my introduction to kira knightley it was definitely my introduction to uh jeffrey rush and so that always like that stood out to me. So starting off with Johnny Depp, um, just what a introduction for like a for it for me for an actor like yes, yeah. completely just owns that role in the first one, and it's just so good. Like, he's a, he's the, incredible, that, and that's the thing. Like it becomes so easy not to think that about him because outside of the movies it's just johnny depp in general just being like the weird character i mean that's I, definitely the start of him doing right. this sort of stuff like like he, he had, watch this and it's still pretty tame like it, it's still like it is a it's a version of, of jack sparrow that's that's what it is it's like it's it's kind of it's interesting when we were going through the history and kind of realizing like how different the Sparrow character was in those initial drafts to the fact that you were going to cast like a Hugh Jackman type for it. Right. Right. And, and the fact that Depp saw that and saw that script and just had this vision for the character. And then, then everybody's, it's not like anybody takes credit. Everybody says this was pretty much all Depp mm-hmm. and his creativity and his, you know, and his vision for what this character could be. It's obviously easy to see that like this was the beginning of this string for Depp where he would do, you know, the the Charlie and the Chocolate Factories and the Alice in Wonderlands and and all the kind of crazy stuff that, you know, he was want to do. And and that kind of people allowing him to have that creativity going forward. But it really is distinct in this movie how still reserved it is and how good of a character it is. I mean, we're talking about a character that has maybe quite possibly the greatest character introduction in the history mm-hmm. of cinema. Yeah, 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 like yeah, that yeah. scene with him on on the, the you know him standing proudly on the top of the sail, then going down, realizing the boat's sinking, to him looking at 
the the hanging skeletons tipping his you know putting his hat on his chest tipping the sign that says pirates be wary or whatever and then him coming into port royal as the boat sinks everything about that sequence is pure magic magic it's the magic of film like that scene is the type of scene that's like this is why i love movies Mm -hmm. like and 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 it's like such a, a quick scene with the score and everything but it's really just like this is the magic of visual storytelling it truly is and it is funny because it really quickly like you're right just like it gets through all the points of this character that you need to know like it just intro like you know everything really that you need to and it's funny that the movie goes on and it's fun because they tell the story and they still make reveals like like the big one is when you finally get the truth of how he got off of the island that he was marooned on storytelling wise that is like the beat in the movie that shows like he's a capable charlatan is basically kind of like what he like he he he's kind of like that but they did tell that story earlier visually so it's yes. like the movie does its due diligence to actually tell that story within the course of feature length film but you you actually got all that information right up front which i which i definitely which i like and really with with depth and with sparrow in this movie uh, as jack sparrow is a character again it's 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 hard because it is a character that has become so much larger than life you know like just in terms of the iconography it is the one thing that's people know for sure from these movies one of the things i it's easy to know, remember like the times in the rest of the films even in the next two but especially in four, and again, I, I assume five, where Sparrow is presented as much more of a kind of buffoonish character, right? Oh, like yeah, there's a no. lot, right? He, he becomes an idiot. What, what is on. so good about Sparrow in this movie is constantly showcasing just how actually competent he is. That the the weird, you know, movement and the the, the vocal tics and sort of the the offness that he has in comparison to the rest of the characters really does hide an extremely smart and capable captain. And I, I think about, you know, like, obviously, like, it's like when he, you know, the, the plan he has to take the interceptor and like the, the, the going from you must, you're the worst pirate I've ever heard of that that must be the best pirate I've ever seen it also is so distinctive of just like, you know exactly who this type of person is. Like he is genuinely good at what he does. In fact, he's, you know, his biggest flaw is that he probably cares a little bit too much about people that he doesn't want to admit that. And that, that is so it's not, it's a point that's not belabored, but the times that like, you know, with his interactions with Will and Elizabeth throughout the movie, and even with, you know, with Gibbs, at the, like throughout the film it, it showcases a man who is like yes he is out for himself but he's someone who can't help himself with the means of helping other people yeah no i mean he's the he's the good guy pirate yeah essentially yeah. yes and, and it's um but yeah and then of course then you get the like it's like you're the worst pirate i ever heard of but you have heard of me yes <laughs> is, and and, and the, the way i mean a, a microcosm of all pirates dialogue right yes there. uh and really also, like, again, not we, we will just praise Death's performance in this movie, and deservedly so. The way, the voice that Depp gives Sparrow and his way of talking, there's such a musicality to it that is so just 
pleasant to listen to. Like the when he just is rambling on about things, like when he has his whole thing at the, you know, when he has his whole thing where it's like, uh, always trust a dishonest man. It's the honest men you have to trust when he's just tripping over. Not, he like he's having this very complicated word, but like he doesn't trip over a word. Every every dialogue, you know, every part of dialogue said is just measured out so incredibly well by Depp that that's what makes a character like Sparrow so part of what makes a character like Sparrow so memorable. It's just the way that he talks in itself is a character. Oh yeah, I mean, from the ground up, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, com- it's a complete success of a character of a performance from this first movie. I mean, there's, yeah, no, I mean, it's great. Was he nominated for this? He was. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, he was. And I think, and it was you. It was unanimously everybody loved this performance. Oh no, it was. It was. Le- it was. Uh, it was both Oscar and Golden yeah. Globe nominated. Uh, for that Oscar ceremony in yeah. 2004. And it, it was legitimately like, I was going to get to this at the end, but it was legitimately like just everybody was blown away by this and that, that the fact that the movie could have this, you know, like this type of performance and this type of uniqueness. And it it really truly did distinctly make um, this film so memorable. And and it really did create like once you saw this movie, you knew that you had seen one of cinema's great characters like like this movie by itself. Jack Sparrow in this movie is one of the all time great characters in the history of motion pictures. Honestly, I don't think like I think the next time a pairing like this would happen was probably uh, Downey as Iron Man. Yes. Oh, that, that was the next one after like it. And, and, you know, and we could argue, like, that there's plenty of other, like, actors who have portrayed a role so well that you couldn't even think of recasting them. But in terms of, like, like despite anything you think about what where the franchise or the character went afterwards, everybody was like, Captain Jack Sparrow is now, like, a cultural touchstone character. Everybody loves Johnny Depp as the character. And I don't think something like that would happen until Robert Downey Jr., um as um iron man iron man yeah so it's very true it's very true it's a very good comparison mm-hmm. um and then so piggybacking off of that because this kind of ties in, into the movie itself then you have the then you have um orlando bloom and kira knightley as will and elizabeth who it, it's very interesting because they play like your normal lead characters in an adventure romance uh movie story and they do it so well that the next couple movies have tried to redo it and they have failed (laughs) i i mean every time i watch this i get more impressed by just how good kira knightley is at this young of an age as she was right because i should say how how old was she at this time because when i learned this this blew me away uh, like I know, Here, yeah. I'll search it up real quick. Yeah, it's like I always mix it up, like because I think it's like again, it's like where she was when she was filming versus when the movie released. Like I always, I always mix those those up. She was eighteen. Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah, I think it's like I think it's eighteen when the movie like comes out. I think she's technically seventeen when she gets casted. 
that's even crazier and weirder. <laughs> and like, like this is early on too in her career. Like Knightley was just 17 when she filmed Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's why I think. Yeah. So she was like 17 and like, it's funny too. Cause I, I talked about this with you slightly. Like when I first saw it, it's really funny going to when you go back to watch Bandit like Beckham, which was like kind of her first major role. And to in that movie, she's playing her age. She's playing like 16, 17. And then you immediately go to Pirates like the next year. And she's playing way older than like she's supposed to be. And it's just it's just so they're good. Supposed to, they're supposed to be like what? Early, mid 20? No, or, like, like early is 20s, yeah. yeah but no, yeah. but I think it's also like the thing like you always cast slightly older to like play younger, right? So she might be like in around the 18 to 20, but like you're making her think that like she's a little bit older than than she was. Right, right. Um like in in the casting process, but she's just she's good. And and she becomes a very defining element of all this original trilogy and her character definitely grows so much. And I think What's I love just the feistiness of Elizabeth as a character that this character of just and it, it seems like it's a very obvious type of trope, but it is like the character, the, the, the woman who has grown up in this very proper society, you know, where she's like forced to wear corsets and everything like that, who just wants to be a pirate at heart. Like, that's such a good character. And it's something that obviously like it's very, very explicitly done in like, especially at World's End when she's like, you know, leading this battalion or whatever. But in this movie, again, it's just so in many ways, subtly and low key done where you just see that that pirate in her almost from like the first moments of her character. It's so good. And, and, and just a strong you know, did not have to use the term strong female character, but it is like distinctly, especially around this time period, like one of the best female roles that we've seen in this type of blockbuster movie. Uh, it, it, it show it gives Knightley as an actress so much room to perform and so much avenue to be a bunch of different things in these movies. And it's 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 another role to me that's just like it's just it fits so perfectly that it's just you can't. I can't see anybody else, right? Like play this role in this way and make it look and feel so good. Yeah. Like like her like when she is negotiating with Barbosa early on in the movie when she has the medallion, just you can just see Elizabeth's entire thought process and thinking she's in control and, and sort of like confused, but also like, okay, well, I, I I on the fly. She's just she's just a great character. And I just love I mean, that's the big thing, though, about it, about her performance, is that she just holds her own so well against all the other all the actors. Like, it's really it's really impressive. Just her work, her work on it. Yeah, 100 percent. And sorry, go ahead. And then, yeah, Bloom, we're going to talk about Bloom. And I I just like like a nice leading man performance, I think. Right. Like he is sort of like the eye candy, you know, in, in that sense, like he's a guy, you know, like the, the women are supposed to like swoon over the reserved man who again, has, you know, is too modest for his own good. Um, and again, and, and, and this is someone who 
just seems like he's having a blast when he's doing these sword fights and when he's having these 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 dialogues with 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 uh dap and everything like that yeah i mean it, it it's funny because i don't really have too much else to say about orlando bloom except he's just good he's just yeah. good in the movie and yeah i i mean he um you're right. He and he plays that really good opposite foil to pretty much everybody in the movie. Where he plays like do-gooder, but he's not like you know. It, it's not like so naive, mm-hmm. like you know. So it, you know. So and but he doesn't also play it like with edge either. Like there, there's a little you know. He's not quite you know Luke from New Hope, right? But he's not quite Luke in Return of the Jedi. No. He's kind of like whatever happened between Empire and Jedi. <laughs> I mean, like you get the, you know, it's again the character building, but you can like he can have the moments where he's, you know, suspicious of Sparrow. He can have yeah. the moments where he's uh, you know he's not dumb. He, right. that, that's the thing. He's right. not so but he naive can, of the he world. Can, he can have know. the he can have the passions of a that's not good enough. Like he can have those moments too. I think I think that's I, I think young it, young but not dumb is right how, is, is right how and 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 again like again sort of this idea of like he's leading up into this pirate lifestyle and eventually like you kind of find out his father was part of this crew and sort of him acclimating to that notion and and kind of building him himself to be you know more forthcoming right like because again the, him at the beginning of the movie when he's too nervous to call you know Elizabeth by her first name to when he's like again sort of about to be like i will i will like you know i am the son of uh bootstrap bill turner and i will kill myself and then and make your your journey to, to you know be regular again like you know it'll be lost because it's my blood you need mm-hmm. yeah yeah I, um absolutely and uh yeah so i think we i do want to mention i i think also you know, we can talk about the last of our main characters, I guess, which is Barbosa and and, and uh, oh. Jeffrey Jeffrey Rush. Oh, I mean, like we would take up like I, I would have to resist from taking up the rest of the time on the podcast just talking about Jeff. Because honestly, I was thinking about this despite like you know the good performances of Knightley and Bloom, and despite you know Johnny Depp just creating an instantly iconic character. Like, I don't know, man. Like, the more and more I think about it, for me, Barbosa is, like, just, like, the, like, the, just steals the show for me. Like, it was, like, he is so good. So good. <laughs> just great villain. It's, it really great is. nuance. Great performance. And just, and also just one of those guys that, despite there being these bits of character in him, just such a great mustache twirly will like every time he like goes like ah just starts laughing like you could tell like where like you know uh johnny depp wanted to come in and kind of make his own unique character there's a bit of barbosa where you know jeffrey rush is like oh yeah i want to play a pirate yes <laughs> and then just goes for it oh uh, it's just <laughs> like again it isn't over the top it's the perfect amount of subtle villainy no it is over the top that's what i'm saying it but it's it's so but he it's not too it's to not it. it's not too over the top it's, right. not, it's not yeah it's not like cartoony it's mm-hmm. over the top but still in a reserved way he's right. still kind of holding in sort of the the big machinations but he can have like the the moments of just again like you can tell when 
I love movies when you can tell that people are just loving the things they oh, have yeah. to say. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. when when he gets that the line, you know, you best start believing in ghost stories and it's turning her in one. Like you can tell he's relishing that moment when he gets the big speech of like by blood begun by blood undone. Yeah. And he like you can just tell like I love this thing where like you can just tell Barbosa is like having this big ceremony. And then like when it doesn't work, he's just so done with it. Like he's just like, well, it, it is funny because that character is such like like such like a showman like he like he is a character who likes the finer things in life mm -hmm. which is also like a character trait that like follows him through the rest of the franchise um but it my my favorite thing too was like so he goes throughout the whole ritual and like has the whole speech and then like later on he's doing it again yes <laughs> which like he just really wants this to be mm -hmm. just to be his moment but even just like in his introduction like when you know they're again trading turns of phrases and he's like oh we're only we're, we're humble pirates you're gonna have to speak english or whatever and then she says like she says her thing and then he's like well i'm gonna have to like like you know can't acquiesce your request or whatever means no yes <laughs> it's like so 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 good i i you know, yeah I and I, I think it's like another thing with this cast too especially everybody has great chemistry with each other like mm -hmm. like i just think again you just think of scenes we're jumping around but like when 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 Depp and Rush are doing their whole bit about like the terms of what Sparrow wants to leave him on an island again and like not with right, not right. but a name, like not but a name, that's the one I need. Like the stuff like that, like again, just the musicality of the dialogue and the actors really going through. Or, you know, um Yeah, just Barbosa and Jack are really good. And you can just get they give the history of those characters very distinctly. Um you know, even like nightly in the dinner scene with Barbosa when she's just picking out and he like, and like those are the nuances you're talking about when he's picking out and he's like, he wants to see her pleasure because he can't have that pleasure. So right. They, he wants he wants to imagine a, that pleasure. This was a story beat that I think this was the first time I had noticed because mm -hmm. like how much he's like into seeing her like really dive into food because he can't. Yeah. So that that was interesting to see see this time. But you know, it, it the thing about Rush is that see, I'm on the side that I do think like he just leans into just being over the top with it. But why not only is he good at doing it, but it's balanced out with like little nuanced character moments like that. And these honest little character moments that the best of blockbuster acting has. So for instance, there's like, like these times when he, like there's that bit, like when they're on the, they're on the Island with the treasure and you know, they, they capture Jack and then he's just like, how did you get off that island? <laughs> like, he's like this cartoonish. And then later on, where he's like, because that was like 10 years ago to him. So then they put him back on the island. Jack comes back in the third act. And even Barbosa's like, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> like, so, like, it, it's those little kind of very human moments that Rush is still able to... Uh, tune into right and he like can over the top performance and then he can again like he can just relish lines like not you we named a monkey Jack. yeah <laughs> that's so that's so good but yeah of course like the big one is the you best start believing in ghost story like just just really good really yeah. good stuff um and then 
Uh, shout outs too to the rest of this cast, by the way. Like, cast. Uh, I Gibbs is a fun character. Oh, He's yeah. such a fun, like, fun second, and I love. Again, just the subtle storytelling of like he's on the on the opening sequence, you know, the movie in the in the in the flashback, he's on the um, you know, the ship coming from England and he's part of like the Royal Navy and he has all these superstitions and has like again just the line like it's bad luck to have a it's still bad luck to have a woman on board, even a miniature one. <laughs> like just like a, a thing like that. Um Again, that's like from my Disney and Pirates for Love. I love that he, like the representation of the animatronic in the ride that's sleeping with pigs becomes Gibbs. And you kind of wonder what happened in the intervening years where he has become a pirate, the thing that he used to fear so much. Um, and his, his relationship with Sparrow is so good, like just them being on the same page with each other. Uh, I, I, and I love in this movie, like, I know he like gets rid of them for the other ones, but like the, the button chops he has in this movie, mm-hmm. a big fan of, yeah. uh, so a big fan of Gibbs and like his moment, like his moment with Will, when he's telling like the, 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 the exaggerated version of what happened on the Island, um, you know, that sort of thing you know what is that great. Story, you know what that story really remind it made me think it is incredible. And, and 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but it is actually kind of a miracle that the sea turtles thing never got brought back up or paid off in a crazy way in the rest of the movies. Because <laughs> that is 100% a thing they would have done. Yeah. Like, where he, like, in a later movie, like, let, let's not, knock on wood, let's not jinx it, but we we were spared, like, him riding an army of sea turtles at one point in yes. the movies. This is like that whole scene too again. Gibbs and and McNally are just so good because he's just like sea turtles. I see turtles. Like he he captures that kind of drunken pirate thing incredibly well. Right. Like he and and it's also like interesting because again I like currently like a couple times I've I've been reading some scripts recently where it's like like the big thing is like there's so much like this is what happened five years ago, or this is what's been going on. Like, you know, there, there, and when you really stop to think about this movie, there is a lot of that. Yeah. But it, it's so mm-hmm. engrossing and entertaining. And I wonder if it's because the pirate feel and franchise and atmosphere kind of gives a little bit more leniency to the like, now sit by and let me tell you a tale like you know there, mm-hmm. there's kind of like so you you're almost yeah. like in the mood to be told like the legends of the caribbean that 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 one scene yeah that one scene in the storm that we're talking about because it starts off with like you know gibbs telling will about like what the relationship between barbosa and, and jack is and the fact that it's very and yeah, very piratey very full of flair full of like a, a, again a theatricality and the pirate genre is one that it just oozes theatricality just naturally just from the talking and sort of the the flavor of piratry so that whole scene is a great way to showcase oh these two characters have a relationship while also getting into jack sparrow's legend in his own mind type thing and sort of the the true mystery of what happened on that island and gibbs it, it gibbs is just great throughout the entire movie um and this is a, this this next one's a personal one. For whatever reason, always been an Orrington guy. I always just oh, like the character. Great, yeah. I, I've always just loved the character, and I've 
that's a character where I love what they did with them in the next couple movies, which we'll yeah. talk about. Yeah, but like, yeah. even in this movie, just like Davenport's really good too. And just sort of that, the stoic proper person that he is. And just like, I just like the character a lot, dude. I just do. I love Norrington. I'm a Norrington dude. Yeah. And they, they come just shy of getting a little too cliche wet blanket with the character. Yeah. Like they like, you know, he plays that role a little bit, but I, I feel like right at the finish line, they kind of rein it mm-hmm. back a little bit to make that character likable. Yes. Yeah. I like it when he's just dressing down Sparrow when they captures him early on in the movie, when he's just dressing down like, uh, like, uh, he's just like a pistol with one shot, no additional powder, a compass that doesn't point north, and I half expected it to be made out of wood. You- you know what I like about that character just from a writing perspective is that he he pulls up the thing like his like Jack Sparrow's sleeve and sees the t- tattoo and knows that it's Jack Sparrow. So I don't know why I like this, this little story beat. It means like because I think it's very easy for a character like this just to be like, oh, pirates are the same and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. I just want to kill them all, blah, blah, blah. But like, this is a guy who has done his homework. And like, knows like, that knows the, his job. Yeah. And like, how much he's passionate about the pirate stuff. But right, I also right. do like, it is a character that, again, they don't, the easy way is to make them the wet bigot, but also very like villainous and mean. Right. And I think what's really nice about Norrington as a character is that despite him being that sort of wet blanket type, he does genuinely seem like a, a decent dude. Like, I oh, think yeah, like he yeah, does, yeah. he does actually care about Elizabeth despite the potential age difference that is there. But oh, that's that, the, that is the least likable thing about him. Yes. He just is the age difference between him. But and like, him. but like, I also kind of like, like he has this, when Sparrow takes the interceptor, um, and the, uh, the other guy says that that must be the best pirate I've ever seen. Like he has this begrudging, like, so it would seem like he has this sort of begrudging, like, yeah, that was pretty good. And I like that even at the end of the movie, like it's kind of revealed that he knows that it's will actually making the swords, not his drunken master. And it's just like, you know, that kind of respect that he gives. It's like, it's a beautiful sword. I would expect uh, the man who made it to have, you know, the same passion for everything in his life. You know, that sort of, that sort of moment, like, I just like that he does seem like a nice guy, like all things considered. And I think that's what makes the character kind of unique in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Also, Cotton is great with no tongue and the parrot. He's great. Just but that's that scene, by the way, is the exact type of humor that makes these movies so fun. When like Gibbs is explaining like he has no tongue, sir. And like, you know, it's like. Like, will you, will you follow me? Like, will you say, like, this is, why are you not speaking? Like, it gives to explain. Well, he has no tongue. And somehow he taught the parrot how to talk for him. Like, and like, nobody really knows how. Then Sparrow just goes up to the parrot. It's like, will you follow me to the end? It's like, when did the sales? When the sales? And Gibbs is like, we figure that means yes. Like, I it's just. That, I also forgot about the dead man tell no tales, like, little bit. Mm-hmm. Like the, the when the parrot says that, I thought that was like, I, I, yeah. Like, I don't again, it's another dis- distinct, yeah. distinct weapon like um, from the ride too. Yeah, yeah. so for sure. Oh, and then how can we forget? Because I was about to say Jonathan Price is fun in these movies. He, oh, he's always great. Edition. He's always great. But how we have to mention Pinto and Rigetti, of course. And <laughs> I love Pinto and Rigetti, and then their their counterparts, their kind of comedic counterparts in the Royal Navy mm-hmm. as well. Those guys, I I love both of those characters, but. But Pintel and Rigetti, like, man, did they, like, 
they got all of the See, fun you know stuff what? in this movie. Hold on. The other two, I forget their name, but like the two who are part of the Royal Guard. Yeah. That's the only problem with those characters is that they that the bad guys have a duo. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah. I like I'm with you. I like those and their little scenes that they have. But the what they always get like undercut in the memory of these movies because Pinto and Rigetti are the like the main the duo mainstay of like yeah. The, like yeah, they're, they're kind of like the R2 and the villainous R2 and 3PO of Yeah, of and they're they're again just like it's kind of like magic in a like lightning in a bottle where you just right. have these characters that are so good together. Mm-hmm. And again, they get much more again, like you kind of see they they all these characters expand. But even in this movie, like it's just their partnership is so incredibly fun. Yeah. Um and like just they they both have really fun moments, like with the the whole parlay running gag. Uh, is great with them, especially the second time with with Depp, which of course was uh, his his stuff was improvised there. Where he's like pa snip pa sleep, like like curse the man who ever came up with parlay. Mm-hmm. That would be the French. Yeah. Uh, that's great too. <laughs> or when they're when the ritual fails for the first time and Barbosa shoots him. Yes, and, <laughs> <laughs> and he like literally looks down and he's like, really? "I'm alive." He no, no, shot. No, no. What was funny is that the other guy looked at him like, "You're not dead." Yeah, <laughs> and then he's like, "He's like, no, he shot me." Yeah, <laughs> that's it's so. That and and the, I like that other guy, that other the 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 uh, pirate with the dreads. I like that. Yes, guy. yes, that was a good. That was a good pirate. I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, but also the, the the yeah, we're getting a great. I I do want to mention the the royal guard guys because I know I like their names are whatever, but I've always had a thing for like. I, I I used to do this bad impression of just like you've seen a ship with black sails. That's that and that again. That's all that kind of just the the comedy bit there. It's like no other ship could have black sails. No, that's not what I'm saying. Like it's like it's like it's just again the the flavor of the text, and then even them being like like when when Sparrow tells him exactly what he's doing, like don't don't lie to us. Like and like you wouldn't tell us unless of course the man wouldn't knew that you wouldn't believe what he was telling you. Like. Just again, that's the dialogue is just too good. It's too good. Yeah, uh, no, I, I, it, it, it it's great. Um, yeah, it's um, yeah. So, and it, you know, and it's, really fun. it's just just a good cast of characters. Because a good cast of characters, and what also really works with the cast of characters is how well the plot moves. Like the plot yeah. moves throughout this movie so incredibly well, and it can it's again, as I said, it's continually peppered with banger scenes. Just banger scene after banger scene of just action and comedy and fun. Doesn't feel like doesn't feel like a two twenty movie. Which it is, does not. It yeah. really flies by. It yeah. it flies by. And the movie again, the story is super easy to follow, even with all the curses and everything, and the characters and their interactions. And you know the the we, again, we'll talk about future movies. They kind of get very complicated in how characters and who's thinking of what and who's betraying who and. But this movie is very straightforward with with what the purpose is, what the characters want, what their actions are, and how those actions feed into the characters, and how those characters feed into the action. Um, and and just like you know, like opening up with that flashback with with Elizabeth and explaining her character, cutting to to her, and and kind of the corset scene again immediately gets you on board with the character and who these characters are, with her relationship with her father, and it just so good we get the introduction to sparrow like there's just so many moments in this movie that's hard to to just you like you kind of have to fly by like 
when he first actually lands on the dock and the guy's like, I, I need a shilling, like, just like you need a shilling to tie your boat up here. And they both look at the boat and it's like all the way underwater and they neither of them say anything about it. And it's like, I need you to know your name. How about three shillings? We forget the name. And the guy's immediately like, welcome to Port Royal, Mr. Smith. And then Jack immediately taking the rest of the guy's coins is so good. Yeah. Again, the Norrington Jack scene where um, Jack, Jack saving Elizabeth's great. Then Norrington Jack having their interactions, Jack's escape, the sword fight, the sword play yeah, in this so that's movie. Like, that's like the big first, like very piratey, like, you know, they're in a location and they're going to use the location type of deal. And, 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 and a really fun, it's like, we'll be here forever talking about every kind of fun or brilliant or smart little thing that the script does. Yeah. But even just like a little bit, like, I don't know why it brings me so much joy, but you know, he throws the sword and, and like nails the door shut. So like Jack can't get out, which is a fun little gag. And then he's like, well, now you're between me and my exit and you have no weapon. And then he pulls the sword out of like the, the fire pit. Yeah. And then just like the way that's played, and the way it's shot and directed and like how the sword comes into frame and Jack looks at it and then they pay off like the donkey, like the donkey's like, oh no, I don't want to get like singed again because Jack did that to me earlier. It, it's just so, and it's just so good. And throughout the story, like you're telling the story that like, oh, he, he cause he's like, who makes all these swords? Like it, it's right. It's, it's a dialogue so and it's like, it's, it's them learning about each other as characters and it's like, you know, you need to get a girl, mate. Like, and it's yeah. like, oh, or like, it's like, and Jack knows exactly, or you do have a girl and you're trying to impress her and it's not working. And like, that's the case. And like, you know, and then of course, again, Will being undercut by his drunken boss and like, you know, he get all the credit for it. Oh, the, the one thing I also wanted to say about the fight is that it, it's also a good little kind of example of what their relationship is going to be like throughout the movie and thus throughout the franchise where, you know, Will just has, like, a very aggressive distrust, like, kind of all the time, and then that grows into a mutual respect. But through that scene, Sparrow has way more willingness to ingratiate himself with this guy, even if it is in a more rival pirate type of way. Yes. Because like, he's like, oh, you're pretty good, but how's your footwork? Like, it's like, he's definitely not right, like antagonistic I said, towards No, Will it's like, he, again, he definitely level. has a genuine enjoyment of people and people's company as much as he would not want to admit it. And like, yeah. when he has like a person like that, especially as a good a sword fighter as Will is, who is consistently like regarded in these movies as like the best sword fighter out of everybody. You know, that he kind of practices it like, you know, three hours a day, as he says. So um, it's just good stuff. And then again, it's like you get from that and Sparrow's capture and you get the, like the stuff in the the thing. And then you get the sacking of Port Royal by the Black Pearl. And it like, immediately goes from one scene to the other. That's like great. And like all the comedy bits of like, you know, Will trying to like fight all the pirates. And again, the initial like surprise that like Elizabeth knows what Parley is, everything like that, you know. And then little beats like you think that he killed the one pirate and then that pirate comes back. And like, so it's like a mystery of like how, yeah, how like it's you, all you just th like, you could just think like, oh, I guess he didn't kill him, but it right. actually but, is. But it plays into yeah. 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 And just everything. Or, or, or how about this? It's like he, the one pirate's like, say goodbye. <laughs> and the thing comes in and he's like, goodbye. <laughs> this one doing the quippy little in action beats before the Marvel movies did. Yeah. Like, and doing it, doing it extremely well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But like, like I, I even go back to like, you know, I love just the creativity of how they take the interceptor, like that whole sequence. And, 
of just them like going on the other boat, stealing the other boat by themselves, but then like, hey, you've already set it up for us, everybody. Thanks so much. It would have taken us forever. You know, everything like that's great. Um, Will and Jack are great characters together, especially in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like just like even like them, you know, Will like realizing his father was a pirate and, and Jack telling the story and everything like that about like, yeah, I knew your father. I knew your father as William instead of, you know, B- bootstrap bill. And like, you know, he was who he was. He was one of the best pirates I knew. Like that stuff, stuff like that whole scene when they're heading to uh, Tortuga is so just well put together to Tortuga sequence is so initially great. The, the and, women, and, the, the women slap gag, which I know gets oh. way overplayed, but in this movie, it's pretty funny. Not sure I deserve that. Well, and then go, I just, just the, the Will's father and the bootstrap bill. What I like about that is that that's another character beat that really establishes that Jack is a guy who does find honor in people. Like yes. he, he like thinks and, like some men are like actually like good men who are deserving of being remembered that way. And and so, you know, I, I, I like that. And then again, then the movie gets more explicit about that when Barbosa calls them out about it. But um, I, I just like that as a character beat. And then also, I'm just going to like pepper in great little bits of dialogue because there's that bit where like Will's like, like, it's like I was beating you until you disengaged like the until you abandoned the rules of engagement and then like jack says he's like well it's like well then that's really no incentive for me to engage in them <laughs> like, like that that's a good that's a good line so anyway uh, yeah so they're in tortuga which is like the the really big pirates ride like caught like um recreation yeah so this is where we get the uh the women of course uh giselle and i forget the other one's name scarlet scarlet of course duh because she's the redhead um which again it's represented the redhead in the original attraction that again that gag in this movie is pretty funny and again the representation of gibbs and the pig thing and their whole conversation and the second water and uh you know i was already awake that was for the smell yeah i got it the, the big bar scene and them revealing like he's the son of will turner you know whose blood they need that's great the bringing the getting of the crew together the will promising that ship for to Zoe Teldana's character. Uh, Anna Marie is, is it's all just well done together. You get, we've talked about the, the scene with Kira Knightley and Jeffrey rush. And of course the big reveal of the skeletons, which is another kind of classic moment. You know, if, if I had to be honest, if there was one dated element, it's probably this only it's just funny because it's like they come out and they're all like the skeletons and they're all like choreographed and she's flying all over. Them. <laughs> like it was just the one thing I was just like, th- th- this is the one where I'm like, okay, this is a little, this is a lot. This yeah. is, th- this is definitely a sequence, but it it, de- it leads into the the uh, you best start believing in ghost stories, which is like it was a big trailer moment. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so that, that, that and, and I think, again, it's fun. nice for Elizabeth's character. Where it's like she is a, a strong willed character, but like anybody would be freaked out by these these skeleton pirates. Like, oh, it's yeah, just a yeah, nice yeah. like moment for her. And then again, it like pays off later when she's not scared of the, the skeleton monkey at the end of, of the movie. It's like a nice payoff of just like, well, she's she's like, you know, over all this stuff. It's great. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. we have yeah, the Isle de Omerta and the, the, the uh, you know, I like that it's funny because we know that like the actual explanation of the compass was cut out of the movie. 
um, which we'll talk about next time. But even just the little bit of like, you know, when they're on the ship and they're heading to um, uh, Al Delberta and they're on the storm and Will's just like, you know, we have a we, like our compass. It doesn't work. Well, it's like Gibbs has to correct him. It's like the compass doesn't point north, but we're not trying to find north, are we? And it just gives this little bit of just like even the mystery of the compass and what it actually is. But just the little lore things that are kind of dropped and obviously can be expanded upon later. It's just that's like a good world building stuff, right? Where you, you don't necessarily, you know, and it's nice that they cut it. But even just the idea of like you have this moment where you explain, hey, this compass may not work as intended, but it's working in its own way, just gets a little bit of the world a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. As they find the Isle de Morta, we do the big, the big ritual, they find out that... Oh, the, the one thing we should mention, too, is that when Elizabeth is is with Barbosa and negotiating, you know, her medallion that, like, you know, they want and everything like that, um, she gives her name as Elizabeth Turner, which is simultaneously her kind of the whole like uh like playing the last name thing or it's like i wonder how my last name sounds like that but also like you know the the maid at the governor's house planted like oh they're after you because you're the governor's daughter you know like you got to be careful so she's kind of playing both sides which is great but they try because they need her blood to kind of get rid of this curse that doesn't allow them they they need the blood of a turner right they think that this is bootstrap bill's daughter Daughter. right because they because they're cursed they took this you know they explained they took the curse they took the aztec gold that was from cortez which again it's just like the the nice little like details where it's just like it just makes the world seem more alive which is a little crazy that they didn't know it was a son yeah that that's really the only suspension well of disbelief. it's just like, they they knew no they knew they that, that they knew they see they says like you're the where's the son that went to you know um england so they might have said like he might have had like another daughter or something like that mm. um but like it, it is a little unbelievable they knew they knew will existed but like they knew in in theory like hey like because he sent the medallion in the first place that's what they know um anyways that's all good they get to Isle del Morta, you know, again, the, the ritual to, 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 to let them eat and drink and have sex doesn't, doesn't work because Elizabeth's not actually a Turner. Um, you know, again, Will and Jack are coming in to help out with that. And, uh, you know, again, a bunch of different things like Will saves Elizabeth, but leaves Jack behind. And when he gets back to the ship, he references the code, which I love the code stuff in this movie, too the the you know guidelines versus you know uh actual being this set of rules and how it comes up multiple times very very fun mm-hmm, yeah. and again just the movie uh, you just keep more well, it's just, yeah, well, honest but they're more like guidelines they are more like guidelines way, yeah, anyway so, yeah, yeah it's good um and then like even but it's like it comes up earlier it comes up now it comes up later you know just how much they go between code and guidelines it's, it's just great mm-hmm. um so will and elizabeth are kind of talking about their stuff whereas jack finally gets to meet meet re-meet barbosa it's like you know i know who'd blood you need and everything like that we get this sort of big fight between the black pearl and the um the interceptor because elizabeth took the coin with her um you know back with her so uh they need the coin still they need the medallion mm-hmm. And again, just another like a, like a it's a fun seafaring battle, right? This is a staple of the pirate genre, and this is as fun and, and again as pirates of the Caribbean as it can get, right? Because 
the idea is the Black Pearl is like this magically fast ship, like not actually magically, but just like it's like the fastest ship ever. Right. Interceptor, right. they think is the fastest ship ever, but the Black Pearl is. So it's caning up. They dump everything off the side and the Black Pearl is like still, you know, catching up and it's still like not going to look good. And then like Bloom's just like, OK, let's just load anything in the cannons that we can. We, we got to like put everything. We got to fight back somehow. And then it's Elizabeth's idea to drop the anchor to swing around and they start shooting like forks and silverware and uh, yeah, like yeah, everything yeah. they can. And the great moment where the, the fork gets in the wooden eye and they're very confused and you pan out to the ship and everything like the it's just surrounded by silverware. Mm-hmm. It's just a fun little thing. They, they get on board with each other and eventually, you know, will like they, it's a nice moment. We'll get stuck underneath. He gets out. He realizes, you know, he's realized at this point that they need his blood and he offers himself makes tries to make a deal, which of course goes awry because they're pirates. So he's like, Elizabeth goes safe. And they're like, you didn't say when or where. So she mm-hmm. gets stuck on the same Island that Jack did. Um, Jack is very eager to, you know, he, he still has this hope that he'll be able to use his one shot in the pistol to kill Barbosa, but, it, on the island, it's it seems like it's hopeless because originally, again, the legend of the sea turtles was not the truth. As Jack reveals to Elizabeth, he just hitched a ride with some rum runners who seemingly have abandoned this island. So welcome to the Caribbean and, and love. That, that makes me laugh every time when she's like, you just sat on an island for three days drinking rum. And he's like, welcome to the Caribbean <laughs> Welcome to the Caribbean Love. That's line I always associate for like when the movie was on like USA or something. Yeah, and it would yeah, always yeah. that would always be the line where it's like Pirates of the like they would say that Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, it's definitely a marketing at, line. At, yeah. at eight, seven central, only on USA. Welcome mm-hmm. to the Caribbean Love. Like that sort of thing. So and, and then it leads to another mainstay of the franchise, the one that what my dad loves this line all the time. Why is the rum gone? <laughs> But why the rum? <laughs> but it's a, it even starts with like, because it's like they get drunk at night. You know, uh, yeah. Elizabeth's trying to, to present to drink rum. Which and... is a good scene, by the way. The whole bit where Jack is like, this is this is the meaning of a ship. And, you know, and, and it shows Jack to be like somebody who actually believes in something, an adventure. And he's not just so obsessed with, you know... Um, I guess the materialness of like you know the of the job. Um, now, granted, like Barbosa and the rest of the pirates have a kind of a reason to be that, but um, you know you can tell that the villains are the villains because they're so entrenched in the material needs of being a pirate. Whereas there's other things on Jack's mind, such as like you know understanding like he just doesn't want to kill everybody and he's got some honor for people and like he actually there is a more romantic reason why he likes being a pirate and and that's a really good scene to illustrate that yes yeah and and again just it showcases just the the nuance and the subtlety of this jack sparrow performance i think is really for all the bravado and all the the antics that again, there's a real person underneath all that with Jack and not that he cares about people, but he has just this different outlook on life in many ways. Right. Um, and that, that kind of informs who he is as a person. Of course, then he gets drunk, he wakes up. And I just love, cause I love the, why is the rum gone line? That's like an absolute classic of just even like early day. Like I would always look up that scene on YouTube, like just to watch it, but even him just running up and like, no, 
no like that whole thing is so great too so um that, line, so that, that scene also gets capped off with a there'll be no living with her after that <laughs> perfect end of the scene line awesome awesome line love it and it, and it that's the level of jack kind of being a clueless idiot that i do like it's like that was on his mind. Yes. Still, like he was like, oh, it's like, okay, this is he was like, I can, I can get on board with this chick. And then, right. and then he was going to, the little gag where he was going to shoot her. Yeah. It's so funny. Good movie. It's just a good, good movie. movie. Even like when, when they picked up by Norrington and, and, and just him being like a, you know, silly, like, right, uh, right. with, with, uh, oh, weddings. I love weddings. I mean, she accepted our proposal. But again, another great Norrington line here where he's like, like when he finally agrees, like Elizabeth agrees to marry him if he rescues Will as a wedding present for her. And like, you know, Jack knows how to get there to the island, yada, yada, yada. He still has a compass. And Norrington was just like, you will, you will like go with these guys, develop like a, 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 a chart to our destination, and then you will spend the rest of the trip contemplating all possible meanings of the phrase silent as the grave like that is pure norrington please inject that into my veins dude mm, yeah and then like the, just the ending the whole ending sequence is great just everything you know jack telling them to attack with the boats um you know backtrack with the cannons norrington refusing that because it's like it's jack sparrow who said it we're not going to believe him him going into convince the pirates that like hey like you know you don't want to stop being immortal just yet because the royal navy's outside re- ready to kill you so like go ahead into you know like we'll get 15 percent right like I-, I want 50 percent of the plunder 15 25 i'll buy you a nice hat a really big one stuff like that's great like he's gonna he seems like you know he's gonna sell everybody under the under the under the bus okay. but i yeah, yeah. but i like again what i like about this I like that there it's not like, oh, Jack Sparrow, like it's not, you don't believe that Jack Sparrow turned on everybody because you see him picking up the coin, like they do the big slow motion thing. But like you just know the character at this point and but depth's playing him so well and the script has worked so well in that function that you know like he's still after Barbosa and whatever he's planning. But I also like that the plan doesn't go to fruition either because he has the big line where he's like, to the boats. And he's like, Oh, I'm sorry, that's your call. And then Barbosa's like, gentlemen take a walk mm-hmm. and and jack's genuinely confused so he's like not to the boats because you know he's expecting everybody to have a big battle outside but instead they walk underwater and sneak back onto uh the dauntless mm-hmm. and a big onboard fight scene continues with skeleton pirates and scared uh people i love the stuff with price in the scene that was added him mm-hmm. with the uh, it's such like again a very pirates thing where it's like him in the in the quarters like he thinks he's talking to Elizabeth she's escaped because she's gonna try to you know save Will herself and like get in there um, you know because she's tried to warn the people on the ship about the skeletons and they're like oh a mermaid told us about it we already know about that ha 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 and so she escapes to try to kind of protect everybody he goes in he's protected from like all the chaos outside but I love just the moment where the the skeleton hand comes in. He like he's like trying to like beat it. It like he takes it off. It starts like coming alive and grabbing him, and he stuffs it in a in a in a drawer. I like uh, that he fights for his wig. That's yes, gets, uh, yeah. that's yeah, yeah. The wig is like the important part. It's an important part of his identity. Yeah. It's great. It's a great little bit. 
but then back inside the cave, we get the dishonest monologue and we find out that, um, you know, big fight between Barbosa and Jack, where we, of course we've revealed that Jack did take the coin and is now part of the curse and just well, some really great stuff. You know what this movie is actually really good at? This movie's really good at kind of already playing its hand. So if you're really paying attention, like you should know what's going to happen or what's going on. But because of the propulsive, engaging nature of the movie, you kind of just like forget. So mm-hmm. like, I mean, they show you, it wasn't like, like they show you that he took one of the coins. So if you're following the plot of the movie, that's what would happen. But then he gets stabbed. Cause I remember when I saw this in the theaters and that happened, you're like, whoa, what? And then he backs up into the, into the moonlight. And then you're like, what? Like it's, that's, that's, oh, that's and we got to talk stuff. about like and then how just that effect of going in and out of the moonlight is I, such like a, a really fun, subtle effect. I was just about to say like how impressive that is still now, just like mm-hmm. them when they go in and out. There's one thing when they're always in moonlight and stuff, but like that scene in the cave when they're going in and out and they're going in between their skeleton and human forms. It's like so impressive. And the skeleton stuff like the underwater walk is so great. And just the skeletons look great. And again, I love how it captures this very unique aspect of the ride. Like I've always loved how they were able to capture in the movie, the part of the ride where you just go past the skeleton drinking wine. Like, and how they gave it to Barbosa. Like, I just love that it captures that part of the ride because it is an important part of the ride itself. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then that whole fight, the, the theme song is just blaring. Everybody gets a moment involved. It's, it's so, it, it's so much fun. Got the, bo- um, the yeah. bomb guys back and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't want to know the meaning of pain? Try wearing a corset. Great yes, line. Yes, great line. Um, And then Elizabeth gets in on the action. And then... And then it's just fun. And then like, and then just Jeffrey Rush is, is just killing it. He's yeah. just killing it. Just like, he's like, so what now, Jack Sparrow? It's like us two immortals, uh, like fighting until the end of t- the end of days and trumpet sound, or you could just surrender. <laughs> ah, yeah. Which is also like, again, like a good kind of like back and forth showing like, that's how the two are. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. just like like the but, fact that he the Barbosa would still even have like this poetic way of like looking at like the battle is like it's just fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then we get to the end of the battle where uh, Jack finally gets his shot on Barbosa, and Barbosa's like you you wait like you've waited like so long and you've wasted your shot, and then he hasn't wasted it. You cut the will. He has coin with jack's blood on it he has the coin with his blood on it he drops them both barbosa immediately starts bleeding and again the brilliance of rush he's just like you know he's like i feel like he's so happy to feel and then he's cold and he falls to his death mm-hmm. and then um and then the moment because earlier when will when uh elizabeth escapes the dauntless she goes to um free all the the captive pirates on the black pearl they tr- tries to convince her that um, she tries to convince them to help Jack and Will, but then you just have a hard cut to like her rowing away from the boat and just pirates. Another staple of the franchise is just the the inherent hatred of pirates. Yeah, um, always like yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But then then it's a reveal where Jack is like, "I've got the treasure, and now I'm going to go back to my ship." But the reveal that they did leave, leave him behind as part of the code leave behind any man that's left behind. Mm-hmm. 
he has to eventually go back to the Dauntless and is getting ready to get hanged. And again, another banger sequence to end the movie here. Just a great escape where Will comes in and like helps Jack escape. The the, but, the be- smart, but smart thing about the script is that it doesn't pay off. Like they do get caught technically. Yes, yeah. yeah. But but also like they're Jack's at the at the hangman's noose. They're reading off his crimes. Great moment where the 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 guy reading the crimes is like <laughs> impersonating a, a clergyman of the Church of England, and Jack's like, oh yeah, like like so that's a fond memory for him. That's like funny. just like that's that's great. But you know, Will you know, goes up to Elizabeth, just basically says, I should have known, tells you the day or I loved you. Like she realizes he's going to help her help Jack escape. She, you know, pretends to faint again, like she did with the first war, the corset. Will throws the sword again, the expert sword fight. He, he throws the sword exactly where he needs to, where it lands, where Jack isn't hung. And he, you know, is like dancing on the sword. They have a great escape sequence. That's great. Um, the parrot cons parrot shows up and poops on one of the Royal guards guys. So, you know, that that's, it's all, it's all set up. Well, they get caught, you know, eventually, you know, nor, you know, Will's like, you know, my conscience is clear. Kira nightly Elizabeth goes on their side. Norrington realizes everything and lets them go. And it's nice. It's just a nice moment, right? It's just all so well put together. It is also funny rewatching this one, and then like you, you, you have to think like that. That's they're not allowed to do any of this. No, and, and it's funny that the movies then address that right after this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, for that, sure. That, that, but you get the great, the great moments where Jack falls off when he's like, "It's a you've almost caught Captain Jack." He falls off. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no one to go for the noose, but then the Black Pearl's waiting for him. He gets on the boat, more like guidelines anyway, and then. Uh, we cut back to Elizabeth and Will and Governor Swan's like, so this is the lot you've, uh, this is the, the bed you've made. You know, it's like, you know, he's a blacksmith. No, he's a pirate. Oh, very sweet. And then the end of the movie, again, another line that was improvised or come up with by Depp himself. Bring me that horizon. He's looking at his compass. Ends with drink up me heart is yo ho into that's a really good edit by the way like just like with the music and drink up me and then closing the thing and then then the then the credits credits and that that is like it it's just such like it is one of those things where even like i i'm gonna hate that i'm saying this but it is one of those things like if there were no other movies you would be completely satisfied yes but it is one of the like it's so satisfying when he's on the ship and they give him the hat and he's like, and the black pearl is yours. It just works. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, and just, it's a beautiful moment for for the Sparrow character. And like his, you know, he's finally gotten what he wants and he's going off on the next adventure. And it really is like a thing where, yes, it's very satisfying, but you can also easily imagine this character going off on more adventures like this. I think it's so duly great where it's satisfactory this movie, but like he's heading off into the horizon onto the next crazy supernatural adventure that he has. And, and of course it's like everything else about like the, you know, we talked about the script and the characters and stuff, but it really is to say Vervinci's directing is so good. Like again, the movie just has this just feel like he captures the action and the look and the characters so well, 
The Klaus Baldwin and Hans Zimmer score fits the movie like a glove. The editing is spectacular in this movie, I think, especially you'd mentioned that last edit, but I think throughout the movie, the action editing is something that I really like, especially about the original trilogy. I think they have a really fun time with, with editing everything together and, and kind of weaving the story of these action sequences through the editing. It's just, it's just, it's just good. It's just, I can't say anything else. You touched upon a really interesting thing because I think it is in, it, like the fact that there was going to be another one was like, kind of like, oh, that's fun because it's just like, I, I guess I just never thought about it when I watched the first one. Yeah. But it does end in a way where you're just, I mean, I guess now you would think that just because yeah. we're, you know, franchise city, but at the time it was kind of like, oh yeah, that's the end of this adventure. And now like, you know, show me that horizon. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just a perfect movie. And if, like, if you've somehow never seen it, go watch it. Like, no matter what you've seen about and heard about the Pirates yeah. franchise, like this movie is perfection. It's one of the best movies we've ever talked about on this podcast. Truly, it's just so good. It's yep. incredible. Agreed. All right. Well, with that, I think it's time for the aftermath mm-hmm. of the movie. So the movie has its premiere. Uh, in June of 2003, June 28th, 2003, at Disneyland, very specifically the first ever movie premiere at Disneyland itself inside the park, outside of Pirates of the Caribbean, on a general release on July 9th, 2003. And the success of this movie blew everybody out of the water. Um Again, nobody really thought this movie was going to be much of anything when it was first announced for the same reasons that Disney didn't think it was going to be much of anything when the movie was first announced, that it was a pirate movie when the pirate genre wasn't big at all and hadn't been big really since the golden age of Hollywood. And it was based on the theme park ride. And again, everybody had seen the Country Bear movie. And again, not good uh, and not really a good representation of that show either. So uh, but I digress. Um, But everybody was just stunned by the quality very well reviewed, very popular with audiences, really good word of mouth once the movie actually came out. Uh, so on a $140 million budget, it made $654 million worldwide. Just everything about the movie was praised, the action, the tone, the characters, and the performances, especially Johnny Depp's Jack Sparrow, which again, nobody was expecting, blew everybody out of the water in terms of just the character and the performance and the uniqueness of the character and performance to the point where it was nominated for an Academy Award uh, for Best Actor in a Leading Role and a Golden Globe for that matter. Uh, it lost the Academy Award to Sean Penn in Mystic River. Uh, so that is oh, yeah, that, that one. Okay. Um, but like it, it stood up with a lot of great performances and immediately again, people were like, this is one of the cinema's great characters. This is one of cinema's great uh, you know, performances and in, in especially in blockbuster cinema. And it was at this point, one of the relatively few huge successes for the Walt Disney studio, um, especially on their live action front. And if, if, of course, out of this, they would try to develop other um, theme park movies. Uh, and this was sort of a, a start of a, a lead up to an eventual um, turning around of Disney that would be really cemented in 2006 when Iger leaves, or sorry, Eisner leaves, Iger steps in, Pixar's bought. But Pirates was a big kind of anchor for this era of Disney and sort of this 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 lower second dark age type period that exists from like 2000 to 2006. Pirates was one of the very big bright spots, um, especially this first movie. Um, and with the success of the movie, 
and with the success of uh, the film franchise um, and the popularity and sort of the, the, the surprise hit nature, it wasn't surprising that Disney uh, and Gore Verbinski and the crew and Elliot and Rocio almost immediately started discussing possibility of a sequel, which we do eventually get. And that will be the next movie we talk about on our Pirates retrospective. Uh, so next time we talk about Pirates, Will, we were going to be talking about the second film in the, the original trilogy uh, and the expansive of everything, right? We talked about it. It's going to be expanding the lore, going to be expanding the characters, going to be expanding the effects, much, much bigger effects in that movie, much impressive effects. We are going to go find the dead man's chest next time and get uh, to introduce to one Davy Jones, which I'm very excited to, to revisit. I'm excited. Uh, but next time on Bonzilla Presents is not Pirates of the Caribbean. We will be talking about more Star Trek. We still do have more Star Trek movies to go. We're in the midst of the next generation era of films where we will be talking about Star Trek Insurrection. Be interesting. I'm, I'm very interested to see your thoughts on this one. For yeah. sure. This is this will be a fresh watch for me. So I have many strong opinions. I'll be interested to see what those opinions hold up. All right, cool. All right. But that is it for Bonsla Presents this month. Thank you again for listening. We're happy to have you in your ear holes, I guess. Uh, that did not make sense, but I'm going to roll with it. Oh, no, I mean, it's going in your ear holes. Yeah, yeah it's going in your ear holes, yeah. you know, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, bonzillapod at gmail.com twitter.com slash bonzilla007 facebook.com slash 007 like and subscribe iTunes and SoundCloud uh, also Will and I will be discussing at some point uh, our means and our timetable for getting out a review of No Time to Die because uh, uh, barring any miraculous delays uh, the movie oh, seems yeah, to be yeah. coming out in two weeks um, Wait, so really? October, October 8th dude I, did, I forgot. I didn't even know. So yeah, we will be. I, I really didn't like that. That I was... no. I keep. I kept thinking it was November again because that was the first delay from last I, year. I just, I just like saw a trailer for Venom that I'm like, oh, that comes out in a week. Yes. I don't know when movies are coming out. Well, that's that's what we were talking about last time. We were talking no about idea. that last time where it's like the trailers have been so not far ahead of anything that we just I don't know when a movie's coming out because like yeah, the Venom trailer like they just really confirmed it's coming out like next week for sure. So all the advertising is up, but yes, no time to die comes out on October 8th. Will and I at some point will get a review as soon as we possibly can on that movie. Obviously it's only in theaters. So we have to figure out seeing it in theaters. Uh, but you know, it is the end true end of the Bonzilla era uh, as of right That's now in terms of the film. So we will see how the Craig era finally wraps up. So Watch out for our social media. We'll try to get you more information on when No Time to Die, that review is coming out. Looking forward to it. Well, until then. This was fun, and I'm very much looking forward to the rest of this film franchise. I'm happy to be talking about Pirates. Thanks again, everybody, for Will. Drink up, me hearties. I'm Nick. We'll see you next time.
Not good! Stop! Not good! What are you doing? You burned all the food, the shade, the rum! Yes, the rum is gone. Why is the rum gone? 